You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since GGTMC, we are back. We are coffeeed up. I think. I think we're. I think we're caffeinated. I hope we are. I am slightly. I'm not yet, but I will be soon. <laughs> there we go. And uh, yeah, we're uh, talking about arrow releases. We're talking about everything behind the scenes. <laughs> so, uh, welcome back. Uh, this week we have uh, a show that. Uh, yeah, this is going to be an interesting one to talk about. This is a. An interesting program, but I don't know if both of us really realized what we were programming when we programmed this one. Uh, so. Yeah, in terms of the the through line and the, yeah. the heft of the two films. Yeah, the kind of emotional heft of both films, yeah. yeah. Uh, but this week we are doing 1959's The Letter Never Sent. I'm not even going to attempt that Russian title. I thought about that with you. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. But, uh, yeah, The Letter Never Sent. Uh, Criterion put this out a couple of years ago. I saw it a couple of years ago. I've been wanting to talk about it for a couple of years. <laughs> I, I remember when it. you saw it. I remember how impressed you were. Yeah. Uh, and we're doing 1991's The Indian Runner, uh, directed by Sean Penn, uh, uh, written by Sean Penn. And, uh, yeah, another film that's uh, really, in a weird way, well, I'll just say it. I mean, you know, regardless of what I say in the review or not, uh, criminally just not really out there. I mean, I, you can get a DVD of it, but it's, it's uh, well, I'll get into it a lot more but uh, when we get to the review, but it just seems like a film that's kind of disappeared off people's uh, radars for years now. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, that's what we're covering. Uh, we got a few things to talk about. Uh, first of all, I don't know if I ever mentioned on the show in the intro and stuff that you can buy the theme to our show on iTunes. I don't know if I did or not. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But I just want to remind everybody that Scott Scott Burton, our good friend who who uh, made that theme for us, he actually has it up on uh, iTunes uh, to purchase. And I think maybe I mentioned a long time ago it was on like Bandcamp or something. But it's actually on iTunes as well. So just kind of give it a look. See, I can't remember what it was called though. Jeez. What an asshole I am, but he's got a name for it on there. 
I can't recall either what it is off the top of my head. <laughs> I'll have to look it up as I'm talking here. Um, I got to go to, uh, yeah, but uh, that and uh, one other thing we'd like to mention. Um, well, I mean, do you do you want to mention it? Uh, you kind of brought it up to me in a message yesterday because of some news that happened. Right. Yeah, it's um, inevitably we, because of the hour we record at, we sometimes forget um to you know to just say a little thing on on people that died in the the film industry and we don't mean it as a snub or anything just the truth is we we fucking forget um but yes. it's because it's still fresh in our minds and it happened yesterday and all of us have this fine fine director's uh picture as our profile picture it's it's a reminder of it um Arizal, the indonesian great as far as we're concerned, has passed away at the age of 71. Um, Arizal's been on our show a few times. Um, I thought he'd been on more than he had. Thankfully, Jason Cortez uh, brought something up and it made the wheel, the gerbil in the wheel turn. But he, of course, of Stabilizer fame. Uh-huh. Um, but, and uh, uh, Final but Score fame. Final Score fame, more importantly, which is getting a release through us and OMG <clears throat> uh, very soon. So, He's passed away, and I don't think it's overstating his impact to say that those films directed by him really helped to shape and to set the foundation of what kind of what we are. And when we say something is so GGTMC, <laughs> those are sort of foundation films. Yeah, people who have not seen an Arizal film should really check one out because uh they really are some of the most insane and entertaining action movies um ever made now they they are an acquired taste in some ways we will they're low budget yeah we will admit that but if you have that taste um there's very few directors i can think of uh, really that have ever got behind a camera that really kind of go so bonkers uh and so creative with their action scenes and uh yeah i mean he just he he will be missed and uh i thought he would be older in 71 that was kind of a surprise that's the yeah but i guess you know the older i get <laughs> you know when i was uh, 21 71 seemed old and 41 71 doesn't seem so old so no oh, it's very true it's very true um yeah i mean people that talk about films like um miami connection and whatnot with all due respect to those, those cannot even, they're not even the same league as, as an Arizal film. Yeah. It's yeah. It's a whole other universe. Yeah, they are. Uh, they, he's one of those filmmakers where his films can be 30 years old and I see stuff that I've never seen before. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you said, it's an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. Um, but much like we'd said about Miami Connection, Arizal's heart was always in the right place as far as, despite his lack of budget, the heart to make an insane action film <laughs> through the through Indonesian eyes or an American action film filtered through Indonesian eyes yeah and and sort of Hong Kong eyes um, <laughs> just it it's yeah it's really something to behold and I you know he, he absolutely is is one of my favorite directors because he's gay <laughs> like you said thirty years on yeah. you're gonna see bonkers things that you've never seen in an action film like. We talked about, and we'll mention it when we review a film soon. You know, you want to see a Jeep uh, ramp through a high rise <laughs> executive tower's huge glass window. Yeah. See it in his film in the opening five minutes of one. So, yeah. 
Or if you want to see Chris Bishop do something insane on a dirt bike, just wait for with, that. With a rocket launcher on it. <laughs> just wait for that final score DVD release. Yeah, exactly. Wanderers. Uh, <laughs> after we hear that whistle, I always think of that. <laughs> Wanderers, let's get wandering. <laughs> uh, uh, the uh, Scott Burton uh, song, uh, the, it's the Clash to Trash single. So the, the, he calls the uh, intro Clash to Trash, and uh, there's another track on there that's inspired by the show that we'll probably use in a promo at some point called OG Catfish. So those are the two tracks, so look for them and uh, purchase them. Support Scott. He's a good guy, man. Talented, amazing guy. An amazing guy. His talent is only outweighed by his kindness. <laughs> so, Yeah, the, uh, yeah, and that ponytail. Yeah, <laughs> we don't usually say the dats that much, but uh, if you guys uh, wonder what we sound like when we <laughs> say that, uh-huh. <laughs> that helicopter shit. <laughs> when I posted that, I was like, I, can, I need to correct that, and I was like, No, I'm not going to correct that. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that helicopter shit <laughs> sounds like I'm both trying to pimp it, and I just smoked like a big old fatty, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so. That is that. Let's get into what we've been watching. There we oh, go. Oh, no <laughs> Man, Ken Wall really wants you to come hang out, man. He really wants to. Hand up with the street lamp out the window, man. Mm. <laughs> must be Ducky Boys must be in town where you're at now, man. She. Hmm. Oh, okay, i got to turn this down, man. <laughs> yeah. It's out of control. <laughs> um, All right, let's turn right down. All right, so what have you been watching? I know you watched Not a few much. things. I only got a couple things in because I've been really busy this week. So, been watching the world through the, uh, <laughs> through the um, uh, windshield of a 26-foot U-Haul truck. Ooh. Yeah, it's been... Uh, Both exciting and excruciating. <laughs> Yeah, especially because our street is, uh, I mean, it's wide enough, but when you have a truck that big and you're trying to back into a driveway, it, it's just difficult, man. Uh, but you know what? These are good problems to have. I got to, we got to move to our new house. Um, one of the first things I did, obviously, was set the computer up. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's in a temporary spot, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's like uh, me, uh, usually the first one of the first things I do, I just, it sounds so pathetic, but it's true. Uh, one of the first things I do whenever I move, and I've only TV. moved, you know, yeah, set the TV up, man. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. if all uh, else fails, you know, I'll sleep on an air mattress or like a pallet of blankets or something, but that TV got it. That TV, brah. <laughs> it's got to be up. But uh, no, congratulations <laughs> on the move, man. Like I said, I've moved several times myself. It is both an exciting time, and, and when I say excruciating, I'm, I mean excruciating. It. Physically and mentally, it will drain you. Yeah, and we got kind of thrown a few curveballs with the move and blah, blah, blah. But, oh, yeah. yeah, we're in the new place and just trying to ponder how to get movie posters up that I and framed and stuff that I didn't really have before and if I'm going to use the old shelves. But it's all it's all good news. So I didn't get a whole lot watched. Um, I did get <coughs> two French films watched um, before I uh, I left my... <clears throat> my old house. First one was a film called Woman in Chains, or La Prisonnière, uh, directed by is this a, George. Is this a Dr. Zom documentary? What is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's uh, directed by Henri Georges Clouseau. Um, and it's a, pre- it's a really, really cool little film. Uh, it, it, I said it feels like shades of 
the collector shades of secretary um it looks at it's late 60s france so there's a lot of kind of pop art and, and it explores a woman exploring her sexuality um a little bit through some kind of seedy things as you can imagine by the title um really well acted the lead in it is is as fine a redhead as i've ever seen i mean she's fantastic um I really like it, man. It's a really cool little film. I think it was the last film that Clouseau directed, and not, it doesn't get a lot of uh, acclaim, but it's it should be seen. It's it's a really cool little film, well shot. Uh, you know, he's just a great director. Yeah, every time um, I hear his name, I can't help but think of the Pink Panther a little bit. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Uh, and then the other one I did, I think this is what it's called. Oh, hang on, he's a pretty underrated director too. For oh, part of that French time. stuff, yeah. Big time, <clears throat> which we're going to get to some of him in the yeah. I mean, I mean, he does have some big hitters, but I mean, uh, a lot of his work is not seen. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of crazy, really, when you think about it. Yeah, it is considering how amazing he is and how influential a couple of his films are. Mm-hmm. Um, the last one I did was a film directed by. A Greek Frenchman made in Wisconsin. And I'll read you the plot synopsis. A woman who lives in deer hunting country in rural Wisconsin is possessed by the spirit of a Japanese samurai warrior. <laughs> so yeah. that kind of tells you what you're getting in for. Now, if you watch films like Things, the Canadian film, or any of these kind of low-budget uh, curio pieces... Uh, I, I will say that I'll take this over things every day of the week. <laughs> well, I can say that I'll take it over things, too, just looking at it. Uh, I haven't seen this, obviously, but uh, oh, this, man. this one I escaped posted, me. <laughs> I posted a bunch of screenshots. <laughs> On its original release at the Man's Chinese, it escaped me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, this looks like uh, a bout of insanity. It's so bonkers, <laughs> and I posted a ton of screenshots when I was watching it, and... Um, it's one of those ones that, uh, as someone says here, and I would kind of agree with that, makes a good double bill with the equally diverting Ninja 3, The Domination. Now, it's not as good as Ninja 3, mm. nowhere near. But, uh, oh, and, and I should say that the, the production company is Husky Pup Film Productions. <laughs> oh, nice. Husky Pup nice. thereby. Um, but okay. it's. It, we got it's, a couple it, of Husky Pups in the group thereby. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's really fun. If you like sort of low-budget, bizarre things, um, this will scratch that itch. And that's actually all I watched. Oh, so man. it's uh, it's kind of funny. The the last uh, anyway. You know what? I'm gonna I was gonna digress. It doesn't matter. But yeah, those uh, that was my week. Two films and a whole lot of boxes being opened. Yeah, I, I didn't only watch a couple films too. Both of them uh, documentaries. I started a couple things, but just could never get around to finishing them. So. I got like two things, one a third watched, one almost completely watched, which I'll talk about maybe off the air, but uh, I don't want to mention it yet because I haven't finished it, but I did like it quite a bit. But uh, I checked out Birth of the Living Dead, yet another documentary on Night of the Living Dead, but I like this one quite a bit because this one, uh, George Romero is actually very candid, you know, the, the real guy where he's, you know, he's, you kind of get a little of that hippie speech and, you know, he's cussing and everything. I usually, usually most of the time I've seen him, he's got all these kind of standard answers for everything at this point in his career but this one i really like the way he is on camera and it's it's fun it's it's a little documentary i don't know 
if it was ever released as part of anything else before, but I do know that uh, this is definitely one of my favorite documentaries on the original Night of the Living Dead, so uh, check it out. I mean, that uh, one thing about Night of the Living Dead, it's got one of those great stories, you know, one of those great independent Hollywood stories, you know, that just how it all kind of came about. And I never really thought about it before, but when you think about it, I mean, there was zombies before Romero, but if you think yep. about it, Romero's one of the few people who created a monster. Uh, he did as at least the way that monster, like sort of the rules of that monster and the aesthetic of that monster has, yeah. has come to mean, right? Yeah, like yeah. Because before that, it was, it was tied into voodoo and whatnot. Yeah, and then, you know, vampires come from a long time ago, wolf, wolf man, uh, werewolves, blah, wolf man. Uh, but, you know, all, all these other creatures, they all come from uh, legends and things like that. And the zombie kind of does, but not really when you think about it, because all the everything before was like a, yeah, a Haitian or kind of a Caribbean type vibe, you know, all these voodoo things or maybe even deep south. But uh, this uh, this flesh eating zombie is, you know, n- nothing new to anybody that knows anything about these films. But still, when I think about that, I always think to myself, man, you know. It's not a bad legacy to have because, I mean, Jesus, how many zombie films have been made since, you know, 68 or whatever it was? <laughs> I mean, Christ. If he, <clears throat> if he lived in a time that was more about, um, I guess, what, proprietary licensing or, or, or copyright litigation as opposed to a time of free love, he would be a very rich man. If he got even a tiny piece of the pie from every zombie film ever made. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, look at that. I mean, it, it might be the most prolific of the subgenres within horror, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say he's probably, arguably, of uh, the latter century, the most influential, even uh, maybe not cinematically, but certainly in every other way. It seems uh, uh, one of the most influential people of, of all time in cinema, really, when you think about yeah. the. I'd be curious if there's a number of how many zombie films have been made with flesh eating after. Night of the Living Dead. I wonder if somebody it seems like somebody out there would know that number. So, or yeah, or even some sort of the stuff that crosses over, like we talked about with like Nightmare City and things like that, where they're not really zombies, but they're still <laughs> heavily indebted to the the, the genre. Yeah, yeah. or like Night of the Comet, right? Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. They sort of cross over into what that that foundation was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the only other thing I watched, both of these are on Netflix Instant, by the way. I uh, watched Beware of Mr. Baker. Finally, the uh, documentary on Ginger Baker. The Man, the myth, the insane person, the uh, <laughs> the ratty fur coat aficionado. Yes, yes, he was very GGTMC back in the day. Uh, he is still pretty insane, and uh, he's just a person uh, full with rage and uh, you know other things. But but he he does have a an interesting side to him and some interesting stories to say the least. Um, great drummer, no doubt. His talent is sometimes overshadowed <laughs> by the fact that he is. Uh, very outspoken, but uh, and you know, not not exactly the kind of person I'd want to hang with. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy, and and I, I think I put on when I posted, I said fascinating, and I say fascinating because he's it's one of those stories where it's obvious this guy is really really difficult to get along with, but people still keep coming back to him. Yeah, so, so he never learns a lesson. Yeah, so it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, but you know, I mean, teach their own. I mean, I mean, I, I'm you know, I'm a very forgiving individual too, and and I have some friends in my life that are uh, not the kind of people I really like to hang out with. But I still give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes, and you know, I get burned. It's, it's the human, it's the human uh, conundrum. I don't 
don't want to be a total jerk my whole life. But, you know, interesting. Good good documentary. I don't know if it'll make a... I tried to get it in last year before the top 30, but I don't know if it'll make a top 30 this year. But it is worthy of the conversation. So, I'm pretty sure Zom's a fan of it. I think I remember him seeing it last year. It's really good. I mean, it really is. I mean, um, especially if you like the music, but not even, even less so because uh, Ginger Baker is one of these uh, guys who uh, can do any genre of music. I mean, he's pretty yeah. amazing. He's pretty amazing, so... Yeah, definitely. World yeah. music uh, vibes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely check it out. And yeah, like I said, I started a few other things and just couldn't get motivated to finish them. One of them, I don't even know if I'll ever finish. It was that de- that was it was that demotivating. <laughs> so we'll see. All right. So uh, we'll take a short break. What do you want to talk about first? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, what do you want to talk about well, first, man? I, I guess it depends on whether you want to lead or you don't want to lead because now we're back to the actually, you know, where we actually do the handoff. May I? Oh. <laughs> can I get you to lead only because yeah, I, sure. I'm going to have soggy cereal and cold coffee if I don't? Yes, I'll do. So we're doing the Indian Runner first. We'll be back with the Indian Runner right after this. One dark and stormy night in the mid-80s, Joe Bob Briggs, Harlan Ellison, and the ghost of El Santo pulled a train on Elvira while Siskel and Ebert sobbingly masturbated in the corner. From that union arose the greatest movie critic and luchador that ever lived. We're not going to talk about him. He's kind of a dick. Instead, we're going to talk about me, El Goro, the stuttering movie fan and host of the Talk Without Rhythm podcast. Every week on Talk Without Rhythm, I discuss two to three movies tangentially tied together by a theme. I cover action. And the most complete fighter in the world. Sci-fi. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Horror. Oh, no tears, please. It's a waste of good suffering. And the continuing adventures of James Spader, sexual deviant. You're not worried that I'm going to fuck you, are you? I'm not interested in that, not the least. Now pull up your skirt. So check me out at TWORpodcast.blogspot.com, drunkenzombie.com, or subscribe on iTunes. Talk Without Rhythm, the only podcast that will not attract the world. Adios. My name is Joe Roberts. I work for the state. I'm a sergeant out of Burnville. Barracks number eight. I always done an honest job. As honest as I could. I got a brother named Frank. Frankie ain't no good Now ever since we was young kids It's been the same come down I get a call on the short way Frankie's in trouble downtown Well if it was any other man I put him straight away But when it's your brother Sometimes you look the other way Yeah, me and Frankie laughing and drinking Nothing feels better than blood on blood Taking turns dancing with Marie I 
As a band played night of the Johnstown flood, I catch him when he streams back in Brotherwood. Man turns his back on his family, well, he just ain't no good. With Frankie went in the army back in 1965. I got a farm to firm. All right, everybody, welcome back. A little uh, haunting track there from uh, Springsteen. So, One of the few exciting songs from I really, really, really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great track. It's a great, great, great track. Johnny and, Cash does a hell of a cover of it, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's one of those songs, you know. It's one of those. Yeah. It's just a great song. And you can see, we'll talk about it here, but you can see that uh, it's such a cinematic song and such a story, oh. great storytelling song that, you know, this film is is basically inspired by that. And uh, it's pretty great. So, it's a vivid, sort of vivid storytelling through mm-hmm. songwriting. Yeah. One of the things Springsteen does do well. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sound like we sound like we're just like blasting, but the, we should say that neither one of us are big 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 Springsteen fans. Uh, I do like him when it's just him and a guitar. I will admit that, but when yeah. it's usually him and the big band, I'm not, I just don't get into him that much. But uh, Teach Strong, let's all say. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the Indian Runner. Do you want to synopsize? You just want me to synopsize and lead on this? Um, I can synopsize. Okay. Um, once I get the uh, since your CPU is uh, hooked up, there, brah. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, uh, ooh, this person misspelled Vietnam. They put a Viet name. <laughs> yeah, that does, well, yeah, you're right. It does say a Viet name. Ouch. Uh, Viet, oh man, this takes me, take me, that takes me out of that. Okay, so a Vietnam vet comes home to his small town and finds himself in conflict with rules that his brother has vowed to uphold. Mm-hmm. I guess that's probably enough because we're going to get into a lot of the things that happen in the film here. What yeah. a great poster, eh, for this film? Yeah, no, it's got a great oh. poster. Now, this movie came out and disappeared. Uh, Sadly. Yeah, this movie cost $7 million and made hundred and ninety-one grand. <laughs> yeah, it, it literally came out and just disappeared. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. In other words, it was pretty much, like, well, I mean, it was a bomb uh, by box office standards. Uh, so it really, it really is uh, interesting. And I remember I rented the video... And I'll be forthright in saying here, I didn't rent the video because at the time I was a huge, well, I was a huge film buff in 91, but I wasn't looking to rent it because Sean Penn directed it or anything like that. I rented it strictly because I was like, hey, Charles Bronson's in a, a drama. Yeah. <laughs> I want to check out this Charlie Bronson flick. <laughs> <laughs> He's working with Sean Penn. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that was basically my main reason for renting it. And I've only seen it twice now. This is the second time. Same. And this, the most interesting thing about this film for me is the first time I saw it, uh, I was a different person. Yeah, same. And now here we are 20, 30 years later, whatever it is, uh, 20, uh, 20 plus, and uh, it has a totally different effect on me than it did. So it's one, of those, it's one of those things where, you know, art and storytelling can affect you in, in different ways as you age. So, um. Uh, so we'll get into it here. Uh, let's get into it, and let's just say that Criterion, if you're listening, yeah, you know what you need to do. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is, uh, I think, owned by MGM, and I don't know what's up with it. I don't know if it's just, I guess, because maybe it was such a bomb. 
you know, Vigo's a star now. Uh, David Penn's bankable. He's a multiple Oscar winner. Yeah, David Morse is uh, 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 sadly one of those American actors who never really has. You know, he's never he's never really been a box office draw. But I mean, he's he's not really even paid that much attention to. It. I think he's a great actor. Uh, he is a sublime actor. Yeah. He is so good. And uh, I know Sean Penn's a huge fan of his, and that's why he uh, put him in Used him a film. few times. Yeah, and he was in uh, The Crossing Guard as well. Yeah, which is fantastic. And, uh, you know, those the, he's an actor's actor. Like, a lot of actors who really are good actors really always want to work with David Morse because he's one of those kind of actors. So. He's a pro. He doesn't need to have his moments. He's going to do what needs to be done, and, and he's not going to be demonstrative about it. He's going to give the scene what it needs without any vanity or self-serving... Um, Intention. Mm -hmm. And he's been in a ton of films. I mean, it's not like he's never worked, but he's always good in everything. I mean, he's where he's been in some bad films I've seen, but he's always great. I mean, I'll mm -hmm. say that he's one of those guys. This is Vigo, uh, Vigo Mortensen, uh, pretty early in his career. Uh, not not terribly early. He had, he had already done some stuff, but uh, this is pretty early. And this is kind of a kind of a, a look into. I mean, we did Prison, which was earlier, but uh, this is kind of a look into what Vigo would become, really, in a lot of ways. This kind of uh, more deeply kind of uh, uh, psyche. Uh, I don't know. I don't this very, very mental actor. Not mental in a bad way, either. I mean, in... Cerebral. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for. And uh, this is kind of like the beginnings of some of that and uh, that real that magnetism he has on uh, screen. I'll say that I think David Morse... And Viggo Mortensen are two of the finest American actors of our time. That, and Morris gets lost in the shuffle more than Viggo, if not for, the, like if, if David Morris had been uh, the, the king uh, in, in Peter Jackson's world, yeah. maybe maybe he'd be getting some more acclaim. But those two, I think, are two of the finest American actors of our time that don't get enough acclaim. And Viggo has got more acclaim since then. But when we talk about the great actors currently, people seem to forget him because Viggo's very unassuming and quiet and does his own thing. But I will put him with anyone in film. Yeah. yeah and Morse, for that matter. Yeah, he's really, really good. And um, there's really no way around it. I mean, they're both... This is very much a 70s film. Oh, yeah. Made in 1990... Well, shot in probably 89 or 90. Uh, obviously, Sean Penn knew what he was doing when he made this film because, you know, at the end, he dedicates it to uh, Hal Ashby and John Cassavetes. John Cassavetes, yeah. And then, of course, that, that uh, Bianco name, that's actually the hairdresser on the film. But I think he'd worked with Sean Penn before on Taps and a couple other things. So, But I, he, I think he died during production. I think that's why he's on there. Um, uh, Sean Penn's an interesting guy. You know, I think he's a great actor. I think he's a very good director. Uh, if uh, Yeah, he doesn't direct enough, really. But uh, he, yeah. he definitely picks themes that are... Very quiet and uh, very important to him, and uh, that 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 works for me. Uh, I've seen all of his films and I've Same. liked all of them. Yep, liked or loved all of them, and um, I think Sean Penn, like Ed Harris and several other actors uh, slash directors, he's one of those guys where as long as I don't see interviews with him, <laughs> I love him to death. But sometimes in interviews, he kind of drives me bonkers because he he's just he's just a little over earnest for me sometimes, but. I still think he's a majorly, you know, a major talent, obviously. Uh, yeah, he's, a lot of people, they, you know, when people talk a lot about separating um, the person from the personality, mm -hmm. um, he comes up a lot. People hate Sean Penn. I, I love Sean Penn. Yeah, I, I, is, well, I think it comes of, from, 
I think it comes from, you know, his past. I mean, like, you know, you get people that really turned on, like, Mel Gibson and stuff for yeah. some of the stuff he did. And then, of course, <clears throat> Sean Penn's done some of the same stuff, but he just had a better PR firm. Yeah. Now, mind you, mind you, Sean Penn hasn't done as much stuff um, in terms of race or hot-button issues. Yeah. But in terms of bad behavior, yes. But I will take, again, Sean Penn as an actor and director is – is one of the uh, I don't want to use the term that maybe sound pretentious, but I think one of the best artists and one of my favorite artists, quote unquote, to kind of cover directing and acting in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, I think he is is fantastic. Like you said, personally, um, can he does he come off as difficult? Maybe in interviews, perhaps, but I, I don't think he cares. And as long as the product is this, and he's not out, um, you know, running sweatshops or something, then <laughs> then he can be an asshole. Uh, because quite frankly, you know, I don't need everyone to be nice and. As long as he's taking care of what he needs to at home and and making films, then that's his business, not yeah. mine. Yeah, uh, we should say production manager on this uh, film, David S. Hamburger. Great name. Yeah, that's right, man. <laughs> I saw that name come up toward the end of the film, and I was like, "Yeah, good old Davy Hamburger." Yeah, well, both films this week have uh, an incredible. <laughs> oh, just wait, just wait until we get. Yeah, just wait until we get yeah. to the next film. Start talking about those actors, brah. Boy, yeah. <laughs> Glad you're leading. Yeah, anyway. for real. <laughs> this one has quite a cast, though, top to bottom. Valeria Galino, who was a real hot item at the time. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Arquette, who mm-hmm. coincidentally would play the mother of the boy Raphael. Yes. In two films, in this and in True Romance. That boy was the baby in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Bronson, Sandy Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Um, yeah, I'd say Hopper was working with Penn right around color, so he probably just kind of came along with him. But I know yeah. Penn liked Hopper a lot. You know, Penn's attracted to the same type of actors. I mean, you see this film, you see these attracted to the, the seventies era of acting, uh, the, the kind of, uh, very, uh, method and very over, you know, very, very powerful actors. And Hopper is, it's a small role, but it's a uh, one that Hopper makes the most of. He really does. I'll tell you, I, I would have loved, loved, loved to have been on that set when, uh, Bronson and Hopper were in the same room. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I don't think they would get along very well. Uh, well, you know, Bronson didn't get along with very many people very well. So, uh, if, you know, as much as I love Charles Bronson, and I do love him uh, uncontrollably, he's one of my f- top five favorite oh, yeah, actors of all time. Yeah. Uh, truth was, he was not a very nice man, <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and especially to his fellow actors, he was just a very difficult and uh, uh, well, I don't know. He just had no time for nobody. Let's just put it that way, and it's, it's you know you can call that an asshole, or you can just call that uh, you know a very private man. Private he, person, yeah, yeah, he was he was incredibly private, <clears throat> and uh, almost everybody that's ever worked for him's got a great story of how he uh, <laughs> basically told him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of guy he was. But hey, you know whatever. And then there's of course there's people who say he was the sweetest man ever walked face of the earth. Whatever. I mean, again, it goes back to the Sean Penn thing. I mean, you you, you can you, people. I mean. Sean doesn't, uh, he's lucky he doesn't get on phones. Uh, that's what I'd recommend for every actor and big wig in, in the media nowadays. Uh, <laughs> make sure nobody's recording you uh, so your true colors don't shine. Uh, yeah. Seems real. to be the uh, the way it is nowadays. Everybody's recording everybody. But anyway, let's get back to the film. But yeah, you're right. Uh, this is Sandy Dennis's last film. Uh, she actually has been on the show before. She was in Splendor in the Grass. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a small performance in here by Benicio del Toro. That's right, man. Which is uh, fun too. Uh, again, that's another actor that Penn was uh, attracted to. 
uh, early, but you can see why Benicio, if you, you followed his career, Benicio is a very interesting, charismatic and talented actor. So, um, in a lot of ways, uh, kind of a Sean Pinnish type of actor, and to my in my opinion, very, very, dis- very interesting. Uh, always picking interesting things. So, and we should say the snake Kenny Stabler shows up as the titular Indian runner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing, man. I don't know how that happened, but uh, I, yeah, I have. I, I know Penn was like a, a California kid, so I don't know if he grew up idolizing Stabler or not. But that's amazing that. You may have. Ken Stabler. Is, is, in this was film. Stabler American uh, Indian? Was he? Yeah. That, okay, there we go. So yeah. maybe some of that. And then the fact that maybe maybe he was just hanging out that day and said, hey, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, for real. You know? All right, so let's get into the film itself, the film Regular Derby. Um, this thing uh, opens great. Uh, that's the first thing you'll notice. If you haven't seen this, it's got a great opening. Uh, it's uh, got this kind of ominous. Uh, first little bit with uh, Native American uh, imagery and uh, kind of sets up the tone. And then it has like this great, I mean, it's very small, but it's a great like 70s era police chase. They even put the camera down on the wheel, which is nice. A little French connection, little, oh, little yeah. action there. Uh, but it's a very simple car chase. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a showstopper, but it's gorgeous. It's in this uh, Nebraska snowy covered land. This this uh, this guy driving the uh, El Camino or whatever he's driving, he just does not give a fuck, man. He's throwing big gulps out the window. He's dropping those big gulps. So I don't know if Stabler was native. I should say I was thinking of Jim Plunkett, who was in fact uh, half Mexican. Yeah, forgive me. I, I, but see, the reason why I asked that though is I don't know for sure. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're American or a North American, chances are you have Indian somewhere in your background. Yeah, and. Uh, American Indian, I should say, Native American. I don't know. I don't want to say anything to offend anybody, but I mean, I'm just going with what I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm not offended. Not yeah. Native. And I didn't say Indian for Christ's sake, but anyway. Or Redskin. His nickname was a snake. Maybe that has something to do with it. you know the good old Kenny the Snake. You know he, maybe or maybe maybe he just unleashed the snake. Yeah, maybe he was okay wearing uh, the little loincloth running around, man. What I, always remember about, what I always remember about Kenny Stabler was, well, he was really getting into acting. Well, he wasn't really getting into acting, <laughs> but he did this in The Legend of Grizzly Adams, like, yeah. back-to-back. So, yes, that's GGTMC there, boy. <laughs> it sure is, man. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, he, I always liked his delivery when he talked. He has that real deep south, kind of almost effeminate uh, way he talks. Oh, yeah. That's pretty great. Um but yeah, this thing opens really nicely, uh, kind of uh, Coen Brothers-esque in a way, a little bit more action-packed and not quite as offbeat, but uh, some really great imagery, and you can kind of see where Sean Penn heard this song and kind of got some of these ideas, because that song uh, that I played a little bit of just now, it it emotes this atmosphere uh, oh, that really that he kind of captures in like those first five or eight minutes of the film. And right from the hop, as we like to say, the hopper, um, he yeah. he kind of nails that tone, and uh, it's really great. I mean, uh, David Morse, uh, right from the beginning, is is obviously a an actor and a, and a character in this film who carries a lot of weight, not only from what happens in the beginning of the film. We should, we can say this. I mean, there's there's a there's, there's no spoiler to it because it doesn't really impact anything yeah. else. So there's there's, there's a shooting in the beginning of the film, and uh, Morse plays a patrolman. In Nebraska, uh, middle of nowhere, it looks like a uh, very small community. And, uh, you know, but, but, but what I like about this film is 
you know, they, they show both sides of the story. Yeah, he shoots a guy that tried to shoot him, but he shows destroyed parents of a, of a bad person. And that's really setting the tone for what's to follow mm-hmm. of how there's these great, like, old movies in here of two brothers playing. And how, yeah. and where, where, where does that go wrong? It's what I always say, you know, it's easy to see awful people and think, you know, this should be done to them, that should be done to them, blah, blah, blah. But at one point, that awful person was also just a little boy or a little girl. And somewhere along the way, things went wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Penn, I think, is kind of getting into here, is that, you know, there, there are, there's good and bad in all of us. Uh, and it's just a matter of what takes hold. Yeah, you're right on, though. I'll tell you, you're right on, because not to get into too much personal stuff, but um, uh, I, I've seen, you know, the neighborhood I left, very blue-collar, and some people in the neighborhood, uh, you see the vicious cycle, you see the mother, um, yeah, I don't know, you'll, you'll see just, you see the sort of sins of the parents mm-hmm. uh, shape the child. Yeah. And you see the ghosts of the parents haunt the child and you the child the child is going to be impressionable to that um far more often than they won't be. Yep. So you see say, the cyclical nature of of life and and familial ties. Yep. And I think it I think this this film examines that in a way that shows both sides of the coin without being heavy-handed about it. Um and and you know it's a very personal film, I think, and it cuts pretty deeply. It forces you to look at your own relationships and dynamic with people and, and family and brothers if you have brothers or sisters if you have sisters or parents or whatever, and it does a very good job of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. I had a little something stuck in my throat there. What, um, uh, what <laughs> I don't know, a dirty joke there could have had. What, uh, what I think is interesting. Penny Stabler Snake. <laughs> Yeah, or little Vigo. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's his Carpathian thereby. Yeah, there's a little more than a little Vigo going mm-hmm. on this. Yeah, call that a Vigosage. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's not afraid to show it. Never has been. No. no. Um, I think you know what you got here. Not only is it a personal film, but I mean, you, you think about Sean Penn's career. Think about Sean Penn himself. A very temperamental person, uh, especially in his younger years. A very angry man. Um, and, and you know, in his you know, I mean, his own admission, he's made a lot of mistakes. Um, has he overcome those? Yeah, he has overcome a lot of that stuff. But again, he's he's you know, actors, especially now, they have to hide almost all of their dirty laundry. They they can't be human anymore. They can't be, you know, if 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 somebody has an addiction, they almost have to make an announcement of it because if they get caught doing it, it almost like it ruins their career. You're right. I think you bring up an interesting point in this age of of a news spreading like wildfire online. It, yeah, people, social media. We're very we're very judgmental very quickly. Now. Yeah, we are. And it's it, the lynch mob mentality rises very quickly. Oh yeah, it escalates like uh, well, like very quickly. That's all I'll say. Like yeah. my Valley Girl, like like did like very <laughs> seriously <laughs> and very quickly, but. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, but uh, we should also say this was uh, one of uh, Chuck Zito's early credits. He was a secure set security. <laughs> nice. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was one of his very first uh, credits. He probably uh, had punched. Uh, uh, no, he hadn't punched Van Damme yet. That was a couple of years later. 
That's outstanding. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think he knocked him out cold with one yeah. punch, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, Van Dam's not. It's not like he's actually a real fighter, you know? No. <laughs> Uh, it was a scores nightclub, I think, wasn't it? I think so, something like yeah. that. Maybe he had his uh, his tights on that night with the leg yeah. warmers. Zito's like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so why did this film fail? What do you think? I think um, it comes down to this. In 1991, I don't think people were ready for this kind of movie anymore. I think people were already starting no. to move on. This is an actor's movie. This is 70s filmmaking in 1991. Uh, the 80s had happened. Uh, people were used to big films. Not that there wasn't small films in the 80s. There was, but this doesn't have big stars either. you got basically unknowns in a lot of ways. David Morris is known in the acting community, uh, but this is still kind of early in his career. Um, not super early, but early enough. Vigo, very early in his career. you got Bronson, but at this point, Bronson is not a, a draw in this sense. Uh, well, that's the thing, and if you're watching this for a quote-unquote Bronson movie, you don't get that. Yeah, you get Hopper, a, ru- you a, get a rude awakening like I did. You get a rude awakening. <laughs> Hopper's in it for a few scenes. Arquette was not a, a, a bankable name. Galino, yep. not a bankable name. Dennis, not a bankable name. It's, it's character actors and up-and-comers who are, in some cases, character actors in, in the bodies of Hollywood heartthrobs yep. um yeah, yeah so i think it failed because of what you said when you come off how loud and excessive the 80s were and you make a film that uh is very much yeah 70s mm-hmm. i think you know in the spirit of things uh like for a lot of films you've covered on the show like electric light and blue or oh yeah Stuff like Affliction, uh, Schrader film, which came, I think, mid-90s, which we were starting to see a bit of a... See, and I think this came right before the sort of American indie boom happened, where things got smaller and more intimate again. So I think timing with this film impacted it, and it's unfortunate because in this day and age, a film like this, communities like ours and and a lot of film sites would be talking about it, and it would show up on Netflix, and there would be more accessibility for people to take a chance on it. And... You could find out more about what the film's about versus some people maybe going in blind and, and having a certain uh, loud expectation of what it should be based on right. the era right. of filmmaking. Yeah. I don't know if the title also may have hurt it a little bit because, I mean, even though it is a very important part of the film itself, um, I don't know if maybe the Indian Runner itself maybe confused people. Like maybe it sounds like an old school Western or maybe something. Uh, I, they could have called the film Highway Patrolman. That would have been just fine too. They could have called it many things. I don't mind the title. I like the title a lot, but it. I don't know if it has the punch. It is weird though that the film cost seven million dollars. I got to say because even in ninety one at low budget, that still seems kind of high to me. Well, it does, but I think Bronson probably commanded money. They well, got Jack Nietzsche doing the score, yeah. which. You know I know they had I know. to secure the rights to the Springsteen song. Or right. Did they use the song in the film? Well, they had, uh, no, I don't, they didn't use that uh, song in the film, uh, but they did use uh, very popular tracks from, from from expensive bands. I mean, they yeah. So he didn't uh, waste money on the. Uh, I mean, there's obviously it can be songs. expensive. Yeah, and I imagine that uh, he. Yeah, you know, I'd imagine Bronson didn't take his normal. I know his normal pay was five million dollars per movie, and uh, which was a lot, but he got that all the way to the end. And uh, but I don't think he got. I seriously doubt he got five million for this one, but if he did, no. man, he had a hell of an agent. <laughs> he sure did, because <laughs> yeah. he's in this movie like ten minutes. But uh, yeah, he's uh, you know, let's look at, let's get to Bronson. This is a really kind of great, quiet performance from Charles Bronson. This is a reminder that Charles Bronson has a charisma on screen 
that is kind of undeniable. Now, this isn't tough guy Bronson, but it is uh, kind of the performance of a. Uh, you can see like this man who's who's been beaten down by life a little bit. And who's older, I think, and has regrets now, and physically he's not what he once was. There's yeah. regrets. And I like the um, the moment when he talks to Dave Morrison. He says, uh, "How's it feel working for the same people that took your farm away?" Yeah, I mean, it's like you know, like the, right there, you can sense that bitterness he has in him, mm-hmm. but he tries to hide it with family life. And he, he he's an he's a a prejudiced man because he talks about at one point, I can't believe you were going to marry. You know, I was upset when you married her at first because she was Mexican. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a complicated man. He's a complicated man from a different time. And it's a very simple and subtle performance. And there's a great scene where he calls and, and says, you know, something about a carpet in a hallway and stuff. And, and you're like, what the fuck is, if you haven't seen this, you're like, what the fuck is going on? But, uh, you know, it's really good. And my favorite scene with him in the film is when he's, quote unquote, well, not quote unquote, but I mean, I don't know if he's actually watching, but when he's watching the Super 8 films. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that's boys. a fantastic montage. And Penn does montage as good as any American director. Yeah. No, it's great. It's very Americana. It but is. it's also just very it's sweet in a lot of ways because again it's that little mo- yeah that little moment is exactly what he's going for at what point do brothers not become brothers anymore brothers are strangers because if you have a brother i do i do uh, my brother and i are very similar in a lot of ways but in a lot of ways we don't think the same we mm-hmm. are totally different people to the point to where we've had you know knockout not 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 physical violence toward each other but definitely heavy arguments yeah, and, things that last for a long time emotionally, and yeah, yeah. Well, life life's complicated, and when when you go on different paths, it it's such a see. This thing, this film really cuts the bone, man. Like I I will be forthright in saying I got misty eyed and, and a lump in my throat a few times in the film because mm-hmm. it it cuts deep and it's very a very personal film. And um, when you see people go down different paths and there's nothing you can do to change that, even when you're you have good intentions, um, it becomes even more difficult to take emotionally um, because it's like you're so close you're right there what happened where did this change where did things go wrong where did this person change have I changed um, what could have been done differently when you see the regret and the the exa- the inward examination by Bronson by Morse uh, by Vigo it uh, it really uh, it really hits you yeah it does and I think that's, uh, we should say, the young Indian runner also played Michael Myers back in Halloween 5, Don Shanks. Oh, nice. He's in Revenge of the Ninja, too, playing the chief. Well, oh, Don. nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, I do think that these are themes that are universal, right? This is not just, I mean, it is a very American film in a lot of ways, but I mean, I think this is stuff that any culture can relate to in a lot of ways. Because um, Vigo's character is, even though he's uh, went off to war, uh, probably with the right intention in his head, he's come back very damaged. And uh, maybe he was always damaged, but it just kind of opened that up. But uh, the Morse character is also damaged, but he controls it for the benefit of his family and a young son he has. And uh, But there's a lot of moments where Morse is just sitting there and you can see the ghost of uh, past indiscretions, bad decisions, uh, disappointments, things like that, that he's trying to overcome. Um, he's a very stoic and righteous man, but mm-hmm. not in the way that makes him an asshole, but in the way that makes him a a good man, a man that's yes. wanting to be better. 
but yes. but does have this darkness he has to deal with. And you, that's one of the great things about Morris is he he has this kind of hangdog face a little bit that you know you see pain in his eyes. There's a great moment where Vico's breaking down the car, and you can see that Morris is both trying to figure out if it's real, and then realizing that it's real. Well, yeah, and I'll say this. Vigo and and Morse, you know, they have to carry the film, right? Because it's about their relationship, yes, and the the conflict, uh, inner conflict, and Complete, order. completely carry the film. When will when you when for our listeners, when Will says they have to carry the film, this film is heavy on the shoulders of these two guys. It has to be, and and not only that, it's heavy on them being cast perfectly, even more Vigo than Morse, because the Vigo role is harder to pull off in that you have to. You have to almost be more, not to say you get tricked into or lulled into believing him, because I think Vigo truly, I don't, I don't think he's calculating uh, in the sense of, I'm going to trick everyone to think I've changed. I think he wants to change. I don't think he can yeah. change because of his inner demons that have maybe been amplified because of the war. I don't know. But Vigo has to be someone that you can see that that boyish Mm-hmm. charm and and you can have a short memory enough that in the next scene you're pulling for him as a boy as opposing as opposed to hoping he gets run over by a fucking cement truck because yeah. he does there's two two scenes in this oh yeah especially one with his wife oh yeah that he is such a piece of shit he really is i mean he really is there's awful there are moments in this film where you will absolutely hate him Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's important. I think that Penn's showing that we all have demons in some of us. There are moments of tenderness from uh, Mortensen. Uh, I mean, there are some really great tender moments from there him, sure I should are. say, as well. But it's obvious that not only drugs and alcohol and other things, but just the demons of the past. One of the great things about this is you can tell something's wrong with the family. Yes. Uh, Sandy Dennis's performances and uh, and the kind of the uh, the distance of the Bronson character. There's obviously more in the past that that Penn doesn't go into, but I don't think you need to because of the performances of Dennis and and Bronson. This is this was probably not an easy childhood, even though there's these great moments of them playing cowboys and Indians and and goofing around the floor. One of my favorite moments of those two kid actors is when the big brother holds the little brother down and kisses him on the face. I used to do that to my brother. Oh, yeah. There was nothing that drove my brother crazier than when I would hold him down because I was bigger and stronger and just kiss the hell out of him. That's what William does to Braden, and Braden gets so upset. (laughs) I know. Because he tries to push him off. (laughs) It's it's something brothers do. And uh, what I love is you got Bronson now looking back on that and laughing but at the time, probably not even really seeing the wonder of that because that is life. Life, you sometimes forget the little moments that you're living in because life is so busy. Life is can be so hard. And that's what the great thing about nostalgia is. If there is a great thing about nostalgia for me, it's that you can look back sometimes and say, wow, you know what? I, I should have paid attention to this more. I should have seen this. This should have been more important to me. Maybe not this. But, you know, life life is what it is. I mean, you know, I... I work a lot, and uh, I regret that sometimes because, you know, I'm missing things because of all the amount of work, and I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a shame, but it's also the way life has dealt me that card. So what what do I do? Do I do I not do it because of my my personal beliefs? Well, it doesn't really work that way. It's not that simple, right? So, you know, it's easy to say it, but it, it's it's a lot harder to do it. That's what I always say. Yep. So you know, 
So I don't, I don't want to get into too much there because I do think there's some some really nice narrative pieces in here that I don't want to give away because I don't really think a lot of people have seen this film. I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty positive. I would say about 70% of the people that listen to this show have not seen this movie. Correct. I, I feel confident in that. Um, so I, I don't want to give away too much on this. But I will say, yes, I did love Arquette in the film. She's she's always been very sexy to me. I don't know what it I is agree. about Patricia Arquette, but she's very, even before True Romance, she's just very... Oof, there's something about her that just really gets to me, you know, and I'm not, she's not typically my type, but I, Same, I, I yeah. think it's her diminutive, I mean, well, maybe her very small, but yet very curvy and just yeah, kind of sexy voice. Nice legs on her, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, she's got a, but she just got a great look, right? So, um, but yeah, I, I do like the kind of themes here. We're talking about the, the line between civility and violence, uh, civility and incivility, whatever you want to call it, but, uh, you know, brothers that have went uh, separate ways and, things that have changed and if you've ever experienced that it's 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 tragic um but it is life and life is difficult and how you handle that is how you become the person you are uh so um i like that uh there's a moment in the film where morse's character def- uh confronts his brother and you you would think it would go one way but it doesn't i like that it doesn't i like that it goes the way it goes and that there's this moment that Morse has that he shows him and uh, kind of, you know, Vigo's mouth drops. Also, we should say that uh, nobody rubs a bar down quite like Dennis Hopper. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> like he's having sex with that bar, man. <laughs> I always forget how small Dennis Hopper was. And that's even in this film and you got these two giants, you know, you got uh, six foot four David Morse and I think six foot two, six foot three Vigo Mortensen, you know, and then you got this little bartender. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Well, even even Vigo is not that big, but there's a few scenes of him beside Morris, and it's like, ooh, yeah, Morris is huge. He's six four. He's a big guy. So yeah, so Vigo's probably five ten. Even if he even if Vigo's five ten or five eleven, which I, is tall for an actor. Yeah, I, I thought he was like six foot, but I, I bet he is more like five ten, five eleven. Because if you're five ten, five eleven in Hollywood, you're typically six one, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> or, or if you're in Stallone's case, if you're five foot eight, you're typically about six foot nine. <laughs> you know, depends. Um, but yeah, man, uh, we should say the soundtrack is great. Nietzsche's soundtrack is great. Uh, the soundtrack to, or the score, the soundtrack to the film is uh, fantastic too. Uh, great songs picked. Uh, this is a little ahead of his time with the kind of, not not ahead of his time because 70s films did this and obviously he's a little, I, I, I get, you know, every time I hear classic rock pop songs or not pop so much but classic rock songs I always think of scorsese a little bit so yep. i mean obviously Penn was probably a fan of him and and everything but you can see all of Penn's influences coming out in this film you do see a scorsese and a cassavetes in this film you do and a hal ashby and a hal ashby absolutely definitely it's very strong oh yeah yeah all that 70s <clears throat> filmmaker movement bogdanovich all that stuff it's yep. all there um so uh, it's really it's really, really great to go back and visit, revisit this film because I think the themes, uh, I got a little misty-eyed in spots. There's a great scene with Morse sitting at a tree with his son where you can see, oh, yeah. you know, he's thinking, you know, how easy can all this go wrong? Oh, and mm-hmm. I should also say the little child, I don't know who the little child is, uh, the actor, the little boy actor. Oh, uh, I'm looking to see. Raphael. Now. He was the kid that I said played Arquette's son in True Romance. Yeah, Enzo Rossi. Yeah, Italian boy. Uh, yeah, so he looks like he worked with Arquette again and Beyond Rangoon. Uh, he was in True Romance. Yeah, you're right. And uh, well, he, he did a few things. Uh, scenes from Oblivion did that. Anyway, um, what a great little uh, actor 
Oh, yeah. well, that's 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 Patricia Arquette's actual son. Oh, no wonder. Who Enzo Rossi? Yeah, yeah, son of Patricia Arquette and Paul Rossi. Oh wow! So there you go. Did not know that. Know it now. But anyway, it's a great acting <laughs> turn. There's a great acting turn between him and Charles Bronson, <laughs> where he's saying vegetables. And yeah, uh, it's it's a really good moment because it feels real. There's there's a moment where uh, Galino's feeding him at the table, and that feels very real. If you have children, you know what it's like to have to feed them. Uh, it feels very real. That kind of constant battle <laughs> of trying to feed a child is 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 one of the most stressful things of being a parent is making them eat. So totally is. Um, but it, it's really great little kid performance, and uh, Bronson is great when he uh, he you see that gentle side, you know. Because of what I do know from reading about Bronson stuff is he was a great father and a, maybe not such a great man sometimes and obviously has his own things. But, I mean, he did love his family very, family, very he much. He was very devoted to his family, yeah, which so, really, what more can you say? He, he, you yeah, know. I mean, that was all that was really important to him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, making big paychecks because, as he said, you know, where else can I get a job making this much money doing this little work? That's right. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> and gives him, gave him all the, you know, gave him his horses and his farms and everything he wanted. Um, his mustache combs. Yeah, uh, I was guessing mustache wax. We we're on the same. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you might be more right with the wax because I don't know if he ever combed that fucking thing. It was a, it was a wiry, wiry mustache thereby. We should say he's sans mustache in this. Yeah, he is. This is right in the era. He he's got the puffy face, but he looks very elegant. His hair's nice yeah. and brushed, and uh, he's dressed very fatherly. He looks great. I mean, he really does. He looks like a. You know, an old school man, uh, an old school grown man who probably had an interesting life. Yeah, like was in the Navy or something. Yeah. You know, you get that. Like he was a, a classic kind of uh, like. Uh, like the coal miner he probably once was, you know. Yeah. Grown. That, that kind of father who's, you know, old school, kind of tough. Yeah. Sore hands, bad yep. back because he worked himself to the bone. So yep. you really get that. And, of course, Sandy Dennis, you get the uh, performance from her, which is very. You know, I, I, won't, I won't give anything away. I don't want to give anything. Again, I don't think enough people have seen this film for me to to give enough away. So I think it's a little bit of a treasure. So people should definitely check it out. So yeah, let's see what you got to say. Nice. Um, the film feels feels very, very, very American to me. That's one of the things I love about it is how American it is. This this film, um, you know where it is and what it is. Um, some of the film, the th- oh, certainly the the primary themes are universal, regardless of where you're from, but. The aesthetic of the film is very American, and I love that. Um, the yeah, we've covered a lot of stuff already. Um, yeah, just the I, I love that we see early on with the scene with Moore shooting a man. We see the the weight that has on an officer or on him, and he's human. He's not some super cop, and the ripple effect that that has, and the ripple effect that everything has emotionally on everyone in the film. Right, I really like that that commentary that everything affects everything emotionally um, because I think that that holds true in life. Um, this is the second film in a row. We seem to have back to back sort of themes, minor themes, and second week in a row we've had a woman uh, thinking she's in peril and pulling a gun on a loved one in the <laughs> middle of the night. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> the uh, Get a kiss. Oh, I really, I, I, one of the things I, I, I love about this film is I think it really nails the weight that both brothers feel in the role of big brother, little brother. Yeah. And yeah. there's things that when you have a big brother or little brother that you always feel like 
this always falls his way or this always falls my way or he looks at it, this always falls the big brother's way or whatever the case may be. Because there's a line early on when Vigo first gets into town, they're driving around and he says to David Morris's character, he says, basically, you shot a man, you get a kiss on the ass and I'd get locked up. Yeah. Um, which I think plays very much because it becomes a thing of self-fulfilling prophecies. And, you know, he looks at it as if things always fell older brother's way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it becomes very self-fulfilling. You know, I've seen that happen. Yep. Um, no catfish we talked about. Yeah, I'm glad we didn't we didn't double this with affliction. What a fucking sad week it would have been. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Um, I, I, I like that you, you mentioned the thing with uh, Galeno and, and the regret Bronson felt of, I think, again, regret of a lot of mistakes he's made and regret that he saw Galeno as only being Mexican and not being a, he says she's a beautiful woman and a great mother and a great wife, basically. Yeah. He sees now, like, I've made so many terrible mistakes in my life. Um, and it wasn't that he's a monster, he's human. Yep. And people make mistakes and, you know, sadly, you know, far too often people realize them late in life. Um, which is, you know, uh, tragic and poignant. Um, I like that Penn shoots this Midwest uh, in a way that is beautiful, but he never lingers on it in like a Malikian way. Mm -hmm. Even the prison, there's a scene with Vigo in prison. The prison is dark and dirty and grimy, but it doesn't feel overly dressed to be any of those things. Yeah. It just, it, he shoots in a way like a Cassavetes that feels very real. Right? Everything feels real. It doesn't feel dressed up. Um, I thought that the tattoos in the film, Vigo's character has a lot of tattoos in this film. Yeah. A lot of shitty tattoos. <laughs> um, yeah. You said. Yeah, yeah. But I think what the tattoos represent in this film are important because I think a lot of them, you see names of women and different symbols and things like that and not, nothing cryptic like it'll be like a heart let's say with cards or whatever i think the tattoos really exemplify something his character is very um prone to i don't want to say guilty of because i don't think he can i think he he you know he can't help himself and that's he the tattoos are reflective of a lot of bad impulsive decisions that his character makes yes yes um, he's also, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, but I mean, he's also a character struggling with major addiction. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. alcohol is a major problem. I don't know about the other drugs, but I know that, you know, I know from experience, alcohol causes a lot of ill judgment. I'm not saying it's bad to drink because I do drink, but I'm saying that once you get past the point of no return with any kind of narcotic, it can be damaging to everybody around you. And it will amplify pre-existing conditions or problems. Yes, it definitely will. Well, we talked about it last week, and uh, Vigo was watching it this week, Gilligan's Island on the TV. Yes. <laughs> the professor. Yeah. I wonder, yeah, well, I wonder if he was jerking off to the professor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, oh, I'm going to sneeze, and I'm not near my... <laughs> ah, bless you. Ooh, thank you. Yeah, the, the, that's when, he, when Morse walks in on him in that one scene. That's what he was doing. That's right. He quickly pulled the sheet up to his chin. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, the crusty sheet. Ooh. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I think the film looks at a lot of, and something that we all look at in life when we talk about regret, but what, what was, what could have been, and what will never be. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because everyone looks at what was. Um, 
most people look at what could have been, but the older characters in the film and most of the characters in the film, if not all, by the end of the film, realize what will never be. Correct. And when things, when you, when you begin to lament what you know in your heart, because you have to convince your heart of things, you can trick your heart because it's emotion that yep. you're dealing with. You can trick your heart to think that there's a glimmer of hope, but by the end when you realize some things will never be, it's a terribly sad thing. It is. It is. I mean, there's a great closing uh, moment in this film and some great dialogue. And I don't want to say, we, obviously, I can't say anything. Yeah. But uh, it is that moment of realization mm-hmm. that decisions have been made. And this is the way life is going to go from this point on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, again, Penda's montage as well as anyone. Um I love the montage with the, when he steals the car. Was it like a was it a Corvette, right? Yes. Well, no, so no it, was, uh, it was it was a Mustang. Uh, no, I think it was just a old school muscle car. I can't remember what it was exactly. Well, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, I thought it was a Corvette. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's like an all. I'm pretty green. sure it wasn't a Corvette. I'll say that. Okay, whatever it was, it was nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll say I'll say that. Uh, what he does to it is atrocious. It's sad, but it's it's yeah. What was that song? I saw you. Have you heard that? What song was that? Uh, you know that song that's playing during that montage. Yeah, I do because I went through the soundtrack and grabbed a cut. I mean, I knew I was going to use Highway Patrolman, but I used another song uh, uh, that you'll hear in the next break. Uh, I can't remember exactly. Anyway, that song works so beautifully, and I, I like the pen has restraint. This is, we should say this is his directorial debut. Yeah. What an assured. Yeah. Assured. I think it's his good. best film too. I, I I really like Into the Wild quite a bit. I think I. So do I. Uh, yeah. And I do like Crossing Guard and The Pledge. The Pledge. Yeah. Um, but I think this one is looking now that I've seen all four and revisiting this one. I do think this is his most complete uh, piece of mm-hmm. of the four he's done. Because I have some issues with The Pledge and The Crossing Guard. So do I. So do I. And uh, I had some issues with Into the Wild as well. But I do think Into the Wild is. It's very interesting because it does well. All of his films actually deal with uh, major life decisions, so you know, and regret and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the burden that man carries. Um, the pledge and crossing guard have some very similar themes because you know, not only are they dealing with the the same kind of themes, but they're also kind of you know they both got Jack Nicholson in it playing with really good performances. So they yeah they uh, they're kind of both weighing that kind of tired, mistake driven life. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, absolutely, they are. I love the the scene. There's a scene you briefly touched on with Bronson, and the scene looked at surface. Well, Bronson makes a phone call, and later on in the evening to his son, and you look at what he's saying to him, and this is a guy who comes from a different generation, so he probably didn't hug and kiss his kids as much as he would have liked to because it was a yeah. different time. But yeah. his way of showing care was to say, you know, make sure you fix that thing because someone's going to trip, yeah. and it's as much as he can reach out. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you know, just not in them. Um, Benicio's good in a very small, like one scene, two sentence uh, <laughs> moment. Um, I like that Penn takes his time with the film. It doesn't, it's not building. I mean, you're waiting, like you have a, kind of a knot in your stomach the whole film because you know how impulsive Vigo's character is. Yes. You have the same anxiety that Morse's character feels, and I'm sure the whole family feels. Yeah, that great scene of him at the uh, dinner table having a drink and Galeno talking to him. That's great. There's yeah. so many. Yeah, there's just so many great scenes um, where he talks about all he sees is the little boy. Oh um, man, so full of life and everything. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really, 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 really is. Uh, I think Vigo's performance too 
but really all the actors, but Vigo physically is is great because there's moments where he's like a like a shark, other moments where he's vulnerable, like a little boy, and you kind of see it through Morris's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the moment in the car when he is vulnerable, and he almost his voice almost becomes higher pitched, and his voice he begins to stammer, mm-hmm. and I think it we see that a lot of the other stuff the pot is a bit of posturing by him by someone who's scared a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else do we got here? Oh, yeah. Well, you said what a piece of shit he is in the scene with the peas. Uh, <laughs> oh, just awful. The moment Hop- goes sideways for our cat quick. Quick. <laughs> Hopper, if he's your bartender, you're in trouble. Yeah. 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 It's not if he's your bartender well. and slash your psychic guide, you're fucked. You're fucked. You're absolutely fucked. First of all, if you know in, in the movie world, in the real world, if you know Dennis Hopper as an actor and you know his past, you, you, you never want to listen to life advice from Dennis Hopper. No, you sure don't. You're going to be serving you up triples, man. <laughs> Whispering in your ear. Um, I like, uh, too, that he's his character is such a cunt and that, that uh, David Morse's character just totally ignores him. Yeah. Like, you know, in some movies, he would have been like, you know, he would have punched him in the face or something. But he's like, you know, just whatever. You get the small town feel. Right? You get the sense that, well, because they, they, Marsh's character even talks about the fact that his brother was like the town hellraiser. Right. And I think I think that putting them in the role of, of as they say in the film, hero and outlaw or good boy, bad boy, in some ways sets up perceptions well amongst themselves and amongst the town. Right, and, but still shows you know kind of the the, the need to to mend that. But anyway, um, I could just kind of go on and on. Um, I think they really feel like brothers. I think they have a, a great chemistry in the film. Yeah, you know, even though they don't look much alike. No, they, they don't. They don't. They they definitely got a different look, but they they feel like brothers. Yeah, no, they do. Uh, I just I love the film. It it ends with uh, Morris's character, you know, basically saying life is good. You know, that little mantra he has is something that I, you know, I always try to live by and I try to take moments in my life, you know, when I'll be doing some just cooking, the sun's coming in my kitchen and I'm listening to some music and I hear my kids playing and life's good. I, I got no complaints. And when he says that, I think, you know, you see his character gets it. His character is able to appreciate what he has and, and make the most of it, uh, yeah. which was important to his spiritual fulfillment. Well, yeah, I mean, it is. He lost something, too. You know, he lost the farm, and mm-hmm. it's obvious to his dad and to Vigo that the, that shit's more serious. And it's not that it's not serious to Morse, but it's that Morse can make the next step. He let go because he realized, and I think a lot of times I try to tell friends of mine, I try try to let go of things because otherwise they become a cancer and they start to infect everything in your life and color your perception of everything and it's important to try to stay positive and whatever gives you spiritual fulfillment whether it's playing the saxophone or whether it's painting or whether it's having a family or having a cat or cooking just to enjoy that and savor the moment because otherwise you know you end up getting uh, haunted by uh, too many things in your past right right i'm done all right, uh, my make or break for this film. Oh, man, it's tough. There's a lot of really great scenes, a lot of really great acting scenes in the yeah. film, uh, for sure. And that's another one of my Valley, my Valley Girl stuff, for sure, man. <laughs> um, 
so that that made it tough. Uh, I'm gonna go with that montage though. I really like it. The Bronson, which one? The car? Oh, with no, the, no, no, the projector. Bron- yeah, Bronson. That's a good scene. The, yeah, I like all that. I like because I like the dichotomy of the innocence of the two boys playing with uh, something not so innocent taking place on the other side of the montage. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of seeing you know this little boy that was and what that little boy became. And kind of the, the 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 like you said the bittersweetness of the laughing of the Bronson character, but also the kind of realization of, of what what has happened and maybe did, did he cause that? You know, it's really difficult stuff to to have to deal with, but uh, stuff that if you ever have a child or that kind of a life, you you do deal with it because you as a as a father now you worry. You know, I would, I know I do anyway. You worry about all the mistakes you make. Of course, every mistake I make, every everything I over, I you overanalyze yeah. it. Yeah, you do. Did I do the right thing? I shouldn't have done this. Oh man, why? I shouldn't have barked like that. Yeah. What it comes down to, though, is that you're you know you're you're a human being and you're going to make mistakes and your kids are going to make mistakes those. and yeah, you just got to hope everybody everything works out and that people learn from them and that you're good enough to sit down with your kids and and tell them you know this is this is what I did wrong or this is what you did wrong and. You know, this is a complicated thing, but uh, oh, sure anybody is, with children knows what we're talking about. Uh, Anyone, yeah, with any relationships. Yeah. Com- relationships of any kind yeah. are complicated. <laughs> yes. Uh, my MVT is Penn. Uh, this is him through nice. and through. Uh, it, it'd be easy to pick anybody. I'd almost want to pick David Morse, but I, I know that I'll end up picking Morse and something else because I know there's some other performances of his I think are really powerful and very, very good. He, he is very good in this, and of course, Vigo is great as well. A hopper in a small role, Bronson in a very small role. These are these are small roles, but they are all they all color this film. And without pen, I don't think that works. So, um, yeah, he had a great idea and he saw it through, and I'm, I'm glad he did because he did a very good job with it. I must say, score for the film is a nine out of ten. Nice, uh, nice. Borderline, well, not borderline. I mean, in our books, that's uh, that's an American classic, brah. Yeah. It is. It's underseen, and it nearly needs to be reseen by everybody. And I hope it gets a nice release because uh, it does have a good DVD, and the film still looks pretty good. But this thing would look nice on blue because it is a gorgeous film too. It's not mm-hmm. overly, you know, stylized. Yeah, or... it's not overly. I mean, but there is just enough good looking stuff in this for you to sit there and think, yeah, this looks really nice. This would look nice on blue. Yeah, it's it's spare, but it's elegant. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Uh, make a break. Gosh, I, yeah, I just had a hard time choosing. I just chose right now. I, the, the montage probably, yeah, just I guess to be different, I'll pick the scene with with uh, Vigo and, and uh, David Morris in the car when we start to see Vigo break down. And he's, like I said, he's, his voice is a bit more high-pitched and he's yeah, really kind of, I think at that moment it's when you see him as a little boy, even though he's a man, mm-hmm. as opposed to the flashbacks with yep. the, the cowboy hat and the the two six shooters. I think that's the moment when you really see he's a bit of a scared man. And I want to say that at the back end of the film, I feel like they allude to something that maybe like there may be like a like schizophrenia or I think they, they did you get that vibe at all with? Yeah, I get some kind of vibe. Something, something. like some sort of condition. I mean, the, he's, he's, he's off the, the bar, deep, right? When he's yeah. wiping down the thing. And, yeah, he's off the deep end a little bit, no matter what you say. I mean, regardless of that's what he's going for or not, it's obvious that, Whatever's happened to Vigo's character, I mean, he becomes obsessive of things. I mean, he's the one that talks about the titular Indian runner. Mm-hmm. And you can see scenes where David Morse is looking at him like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. So he's, you know, it's obvious he's become obsessed with things that are detrimental to his yeah. life. Yeah. Because there's, there's, there's some paranoia when they're at the bar and he's talking about 
this analogy with the math teacher and stuff. It just yeah. feels very paranoid. Something like he's gone down a rabbit hole one night and just hasn't really quite come out of. Yep. Um, and I'm going to go with Morse, the Morse Vigo connection. Um, yeah, Penn definitely. You know, no shame in that. I mean, it's his film, and he brought it all together. But um, I don't know. You know, I just I think you, as much as can can pen cast them right, they had to deliver, and they deliver fully, fully, fully. My score is the same as yours. It's a nine out of ten. It's, nice. This is you know just an American classic, and I hope more people see this, and uh, hopefully the this film will get you know Criterion or Arrow or one of these these labels can can give it the treatment it deserves to be seen by people that haven't seen it because it it really deserves to be examined alongside the works of people that Penn was um, heavily indebted to creatively like Ashby and Ray Fulson and Cassavetes and yeah we and should say also it's, it's, yeah we should say also it's a period piece but it never really feels like that it almost feels very no. modern but it, yep. it is it is a period piece yeah absolutely so it's it's very interesting when I was watching it I was thinking well you know this is a period piece that's a pretty brave move too on your first film but uh, he keeps enough things out of light out of out of the uh, camera angles and things like that to to not make it noticeable that it's shot in the 90s, even though it's supposed to be set in, I guess, the early 70s uh, or maybe mid-70s. I can't remember when it's supposed to exactly be set, but I, I like that. I mean, and, and the you know, the clothes aren't over 70s glorified, you know. That's right. It's not fetishized. Yeah, nobody's dressed not, like a pimp. You know? It's not David or Russell. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's not American <laughs> Hustle, you know. If Ego comes back from the war with a fucking perm or something. Yeah, and a leather coat with a fur collar. <laughs> Well, not that I wouldn't watch that movie. I think I would. I would. Well, he 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 did that a little bit in uh, when he reteamed up with Penn and Carlito's Way. Oh yeah, yeah. He's good in that. Very good in that. Both of them are. And, and yeah, right. Penn's got the perm in that. <laughs> yeah, he does, man. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to take a short break. Come back and talk about the letter never sent. And uh, Large Williams going to show you how good he speaks Russian. There, brah. Duh. <laughs> We'll be back right after this. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I've ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. That means you choose to chin and punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I'm just, just getting confirmation. It's just dealing, that's the third time though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspenter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could f any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. So he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. I'm not feeling too 
took me for one big ride. And even now I sit on one. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are back. Another great track from the Indian Murder soundtrack. Yeah? Definitely. Um, all right, so our next film is The Letter Never Sent, or Letter Never Sent. Nyat Plavlionik Pismo. I don't know if that's correct or not, but uh, we'll go with it. We should. Uh, I should say, I don't know if uh, a lot of people know this, but this film was uh, financially supported and restored by one Francis Ford Coppola. He actually yeah. re-released it in the United States, so obviously a big fan, but uh, I'm glad he did restore it, uh, or helped restore it, not personally restore it himself. <laughs> Knowing him, he probably would do that. Uh, okay, basic plot synopsis for geologists are searching for diamonds in the wilderness of Siberia. Now that is as simple as it, come, as it comes, as it is, as it is, yeah. About six people in this movie. And uh, it's a it's a small film, but uh, I've been curious to see what you would think of this ever since I saw it. So let's get into it. Sure, let's do that. One thing I found very, 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 very interesting about our programming this week, if we're going to paint with broad strokes, it's funny that you picked this film and I picked The Indian Runner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. It is, because if anybody knows me, The Indian Runner's right up my alley. Uh, yeah. And if anybody knows William... Uh, Letter Never Sent seems, at least on the surface, I don't know yet, because I haven't talked to him about it, seems to be right up uh, William's alley. It is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, we should say that the lead actress, Tatiana Samuelova, uh, just died a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's uh, terrible. Uh, she, uh, uh, Anna she, Karenina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, uh, I think she's gorgeous, actually. Uh, she's Beautiful girl, yeah. Very classic beauty, and uh, she reminds me of... Uh, uh, Audrey Hepburn a little bit, not not in her acting obviously, but in her look a little bit, Maybe a little bit of her. A little bit. They she they called her the Russian Hepburn actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, she does a little bit, a little more of a round face, not as delicate of features, but similar. Yep. yep. Um, Very good. Actress. I love I love the user review on here. Friggin' Kalatskov and Yurovetsky unhinged in Siberia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should say I, I don't think I mentioned, but it is directed by Mikhail Kalatsov. Uh, Kalatsov, you know, I guess that's how you we'll say it. Um, who did direct "I Am Cuba," a film both Will and I uh, we we said this uh, several times, but uh, right after this, uh, he directed that. And uh, the cranes know, are flying. Yeah, I have never seen the cranes are flying. I've been neither have I, but I know he's very celebrated for it. Yeah, and the Red Tent, which is one that was his last film, was an American, or I don't know if it's American, but I know it's Sean Connery and Peter Finch and. I think Zom's a fan of it, but I really want to check it out. I've never seen the Red Tent, so. Uh, and most of, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> Ooh, he's, he did one in 1957 called Pervy Echelon. Yeah. Oh. I can finally use my sound drop here. Hang on. You're looking for me, Americanski. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, there we go. Got a Russian film. I didn't even think about that. I don't know any Russian. This is Americansky, though. (laughs) But he is a very celebrated filmmaker. And truly, I can say this. I've only seen a few films of his, but truly uh, an innovator. An innovator. And I would say without any shred of hyperbole, one of the most masterful filmmakers visually that we've had the pleasure of, of seeing. Yeah. He will, uh, if you've not seen I Am Cuba, he will knock your oh. socks off. And this one, 
Uh, well, it knocked my socks off the first time I saw it. So yeah, it didn't knock my socks off because I don't wear any this time of year. But it knocked oh, my shoes off. There, bruh. You, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Q, I am Cuba. Yeah, really cool uh, people like. Uh, um, P.T. Anderson really, really lifted uh, a nice or homage to scene in Boogie Nights from that with the pool. He took that from Cuba. Yeah, big time, big time. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I got to say it, whether it's uh, Kalatazov uh, or I can't think of the filmmaker's name. He works a lot currently. He did a film a few years ago called The Return, which would have made an interesting double, actually, because it's about two brothers and their, their father returning home and taking them on a fishing expedition in the woods of Russia. Yeah, it's a personal favorite of mine. I love that film. Man, that film is really good. That's a, Talk about a heavy film. Fuck, I know. That's a heavy film, too. But I have to say, Russian film is a bit of a blind spot for me. I haven't seen it a ton. I would, you know, but I would say I've seen in the past handful of years, um, maybe two dozen, no, not two dozen, maybe a dozen, maybe less, Russian classics. And I have to say that I feel like Russians shoot film better than anyone. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was thinking that too the other day. It's true that Russian filmmaking is truly some of the most underrated and influential filmmaking in oh, cinema man. history. Now, now uh, we all know Battleship Potemkin, and we know yeah. certain pieces like that, and Sergei Azistan, and yeah. and we, he's very celebrated and stuff. But visually, even even if you want to go with the more commercial Russian filmmakers like a Tamir Bekmimetov or somebody like that. Visually, Russian filmmakers, I don't know if it's the lack of things they maybe grew up with or whatever, but they really go for it when it comes to visuals. Oh, big time. They're so sumptuous. I don't know of any country that shoots films as beautifully as they do. And not just beautifully, but as technically proficient. Yeah, the technical stuff is insane. I mean, yeah. their influence on camera movement and editing uh, on cinema in cinema is... Un- unparalleled in a lot of ways I would say so and they're so far ahead of the times like when you talk I've, I've still never seen Potemkin truth be told yeah. but um, like when I watched that one um, the man with the moving camera the man with the camera a few months ago oh yeah I mean that, that film language is about 20 or 30 years ahead of anything else anyone was doing you know editing montage uh, just pff, in really really incredible um, and it's it's funny to see Films like this, and and look at how it would have influenced everyone from like a Kubrick to a Malick, mm-hmm. yep. and it's it's uh, it really says something. Like the film, uh, let's just say this: the blue, this sort of film is why the format was made. Yes, I mean it. it, it this film is sixty years old, basically. Uh, just under, yeah. Well, yeah, fifty-five years old. It's at least fifty, so that's that's all that yeah. matters. I mean, that's 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 a long time ago. Yeah, it is, but it feels it feels ageless when you see the blue. Like it really does. And what a great poster! I love that poster on the IMDb with the two swaths of red. Yeah, a yeah. nice poster, man. Yeah. Two films bringing the poster thunder this week. Yeah, <laughs> I'd frame both of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that that Russian poster. That's the Russian poster. I love yeah, that. That's poster. a nice poster. Um, but um. Yeah, it's what did I it say? Gives away a little bit of the film that poster does give away a little bit for <laughs> sure. Um, to, uh, I don't know what that note even says. Stunning aerial shot. Yeah, it's oh yeah, those, uh, those helicopter bookend shots. Nineteen fifty nine. We're talking here. Wonder if Carpenter was influenced by that with the thing. <laughs> I don't know, man, but I tell you, when I when I first when I first watched this, 
that that shot i was like Holy okay shit. i'm in i'm in for something here it's yeah because even if it it fails which it doesn't but even if it fails like the thing of it is this that shit's impressive even with the lightweight cameras nowadays yeah with the camera equipment back then being so heavy and limited technologically to pull off the stuff they do time and time again in this film is amazing yeah the dolly stuff in this is insane oh my goodness i don't know how they pulled off the dolly stuff in this i don't i don't know how because <clears throat> there was no steady cam yet so now that would probably be done with steady cam or they'd just do it handheld and say fuck it this mm-hmm. is smooth and it just glides and there's a lot of great tracking shots not only oh, on mountaintops and in wilderness but during a fucking during a five, forest fire yeah a fucking five alarm fire we're talking about here uh, yeah there's a, a serious fire going on that the camera is like right beside like how did that not melt the lens <laughs> yeah i know i know it's it's, it's really something to behold i want to say before i forget it the greatest name in the history of our show, there's a cast member who plays uh, a Sebenine. 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 Yeah, Sebenine. Never said that out loud. Their name is Inokenti Smoktunovsky. <laughs> Inokenti Smoktunovsky. Yeah. What a name. Outstanding. That's the, um, uh, that's the gentleman with the glasses, right? I think it is. I believe so. No, maybe that was Andre. Oh, no, no, no. That's Andre. Yeah, that's Andre. Sebenine is, is the, the guy uh, who yeah. whose letter is never sent, right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. At the beginning, I'm... So, um, yeah, do we... Uh, Russian, I, I'm looking at these Russian actors. A lot of these guys die young, man. Oh, yeah. He was 69, that's, that actor was. Uh, this, Andre. The guy that Andre's played, still alive. The guy that played Sergei was only 33 when he died. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, he died. Uh, yeah, he died. Jesus. Five years after this film. Six years after this film. wonder what happened. Yeah, I look into shit. Yeah. Doesn't say what he died of. So. Man, I'll tell you, that is really, yeah. Look at him there. That's too bad. He was in Ballad of a Soldier as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's gonna get James Dean. Died young, man. I don't know if he was a rebel, but uh, to yeah. die that young. But anyway, um, so yeah, I think that one of the things I like about Russian films and the way they approach things is how certain things are approached very differently. From American films. Now, I may be reading too much into this and painting with a foggy notion of um, cultural or political understanding. But I feel like if this was an American film, before we got on the helicopter and went there and there were some really incredible shots of the landscape, we would be getting to know each of the characters. <laughs> well, yeah, we would. And we'd be getting to know the diamond industry. <laughs> That's right. It would break it down for us. But this film, like, uh, because, what was that? What was that uh, DiCaprio film? What was Blood Diamond? Was Blood it, Diamond, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, so I feel like this film, because it's more in line with the my my notion of what Russian identity is, is that it doesn't matter about the individual right now. Um, Russia is celebrated as being Russia and the landscape and the majesty of the landscape and the unforgiving nature of the landscape. All those things are celebrated, the beauty, all those celebrated early on in the film, uh, as opposed to getting to know each person, because everyone's a special individual. It's not that way in Soviet-era Russia at all. So I really like that approach, because I feel like it's it's different than we're accustomed to seeing, and and it gives this film really a sense of, um, well, I think the film is very immersive. It is. Because the camera work, the way they use close-ups, it's intimate, it's immersive, and it, it really works well to kind of thrust you into it almost feels like a 
it's weird because it feels like neorealist in some ways, but it's also so beautifully shot that it's it kind of go. It's not that either. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's wonderful the way he shoots it. Um, I love that he always puts a foreground and a background action. Yeah, and so you're constantly drawn to both. Uh, it, really, almost every shot in the film, he's he's got somebody in the foreground and somebody in the background doing something. And uh, the real, those great moments in the tent, you know, which mm. cinematically sound like they could be awful, but they're really, really great. The way he lights it and the way everybody's so close together and there's a fire in the background. And, of course, the fire is always it's always kind of present, like it's kind of uh, it's kind of like a prelude to what is going to take place. Yeah. So it's it's pretty great. And it's great, too, because there's times when they use sort of deep focus, but mostly there's not that much of that. It's more like you said, something in the background, something in the foreground, other stuff. You can see it happening, but it's not always... Yeah. Um, nice use of shadow. And- really, really nice use of shadows. Like when you talk about a lot of the um, the like the German work uh, that predated this a little bit or around the same time, and this is as effective as that stuff yes. in terms of shadows. Yes. Um, but just, I always feel like with Russian films, like we talked about that one, The Return, which I, was on Instant last I checked, that Russian film. Um, I feel like uh, nature, that is the out, great outdoors, uh, yeah. always feels very mythic and epic in Russian films. Yes. It seems to be a character of its own. And certainly in this it does. Um, Definitely, certainly the, the harshness. The harsh, unforgiving nature of it, but also the beauty. It's like the duality of it. Yeah, it's still on. It's still on, isn't it? Oh, man, that's a film. I'll tell you right now, you just heard both of us really recommend it. It's only about 90 minutes long. Really fantastic film. I think, I want to say, a few of our listeners are fans. I remember a few people talking about maybe Zom. I don't know. I think somebody once, yeah, I don't can't remember. I think sometimes one, somebody mentioned to me one time, like, favorite films of the aughts or whatever, and I, I really pushed that a long time ago on the group. I really pushed uh, The Return, saying a lot of people should check out the return it's definitely one of the best films of uh, the 2000s yeah oh it is a really 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 fantastic one um there's some pretty good use of kind of really slow dissolves or fades like the way like the images are melding together with with flashbacks like it's never really clean it's it's sort of a slow dissolve where things are still in the image from the from the present and the past Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know some really cool stuff like that uh, oh, they, they of course they have to drink vodka. <laughs> yes, yes. And a lot of that going on. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they they shoot a lot of stuff low to the ground, and they mix it up with some overhead stuff. And I mean, you and I could go on and on about all the different techniques and and the, the camera angles and and all the different things they do, and it, it and it all works very well. Um, you know, and there's even some stuff here like. Because there's a lot, not a lot of interiors, because the film is primarily about exteriors. But some of the interiors here almost feel like um, it's like a chicken or the egg thing. Did John Ford influence um, uh, what's his name here? Kaldazov. Uh, Kaldazov, or did Kaldazov influence John Ford? Like that's that 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 the technique that Scorsese uses a lot. Tarantino uses, Anderson uses, where the camera pulls with the guy and then opens up into the expanse of of the outdoors. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's something you see in, like, The Searchers. There's that iconic moment with uh, John Wayne. Um, And you see it in this as well. Um, I love the quote. I think it's from Sergei. And I like, too, that you get sort of the spectrum, the full spectrum of 
of sort of a preconceived notion of masculinity because you get the scholar, mm-hmm. you get the guy sort of, you get the, the brute and you get the guy in between. You can get the full spectrum of male identity if you're going to paint with a broad brush. Um, I like that. And I like the line from Sergei because he's like the, um, like the, what's the word? Not tracker, the uh, like tour guide of sorts, I guess. Yeah. Not tour guide, but he's their guide. Yeah, yeah, he's been uh, in the wilderness several times, and he's this isn't his first rodeo, so to speak. Yeah, and you can see he's a bit bitter, and he has a conversation. I want to say it's with. Uh, well, he's a bit socially inept too. He he certainly is mm-hmm. with one of their male characters, maybe Andre with Andre, and uh, or maybe I think it's with Andre. Anyway, he says to him, "You know, why are you upset?" And he says, "Well, what have I seen? War, forest. Yeah. Um, I've been walking the taiga." Uh, looking for other people's, tra- other men's treasures. Mm-hmm. And I will want to say in a, in a sort of tangent, there's a really great documentary that um, Werner Herzog did. I think it's also on Instant. I'm pretty sure it is at least in Canada, maybe in the States. It's I believe it is, yes. A Year in the Taiga, I think it's called. Uh, I, I can't remember what it's called, but it is about uh, uh, people in Siberia, right? Yeah, which which is where in this region where this film takes place. Mm-hmm. So and it's a really fascinating look at these people. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I think it's great, and um, I love how nature kind of envelops the screen yeah. and the fire, for that matter. Um, I think that one of the things Russians, you know, Russians are always you know, celebrated as being great thinkers, and I think there's there's a lot of times, without being on the nose or over the head, a lot of philosophical stuff that, that's brought up in exchanges or dialogue between the characters, like. Um, one of the one of the characters mentioning just I think it's Andre de Sergei says you know man can what separates us from animals is that man can suppress his feelings unlike an animal yep. and just I like some of that stuff that because Russia lived in a pretty extreme time of um, uh, lack some freedoms were were lacking um, it forced people to be more introspective right well I mean uh, I think there's a lot of themes going on here too I mean they're they're the, the theme of going into the the wilderness to look for diamonds, the unattainable, mm-hmm. and then you got Sergey who has a different type of unattainable. Yes, he does. Uh, passion uh, that he feels is unattainable for him. Um, the way fire is both essential for life and can cause death. Mm-hmm. Man uh, but, versus wilderness, man versus himself. Yeah, there's so much going on in this film, and it's it's really a testament to how great this movie is, and that they take four actors. And um, really make them stand out. Everybody, all four of them are great in the film. Yeah, all four of them are great. And Tanya's great. She holds her own with the boys. Everybody has a a personal moment in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, you're right. That would all happen in the beginning. Mm-hmm. That would set up our characters. In this one, you're allowed. It would to, set up spectacle. Yeah, you're al- you're allowed sorry, to kind ahead. of. I'm sorry. You're kind of allowed to grow with the characters. Yes. And when they're when they're having their moments, you're allowed to have their moments with them as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of be impounded with it immediately. And then, you know, you get to the, the big quote unquote action set piece because there is a action set piece in this film uh, that's obviously very quintessential to the movie and very important uh, because it had to have been well planned out because this thing would have been terribly dangerous if oh not. Oh, my God. <laughs> it had to have been hot on that set or in the wilderness, wherever they were. There's no way that couldn't have been like scorching hot. They were very close to major fire. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you've ever been close to a big fire, uh, it gets hot fast. Dude, I'm barbecuing, <laughs> and I'm like, man, this shit is too hot. I gotta lift my hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll take the hair right off your knuckles. Oh yeah, thereby. 
there by but uh, yeah i mean i think that all the stuff that's going on in this film and watching it again this time the second time i got even more of those little moments of you know her kind of you know the way she looks at certain things and the way she she tells she can tell sergey's when he says something to somebody he he means it more toward her and the other people can't see it you can see it in her eyes you can see in tanya's eyes the uh the the realization that what he just said the other two characters are like kind of oblivious they're thinking it's like something else but she sees it's really directed toward her Mm -hmm. so it's really great oh man no it totally is it totally is and i like that the film it doesn't have just a few kind of flashy moments to give way to to spectacle because that's the thing that now i think about this film that's so impressive is this film could have relied solely on spectacle because there's spectacle happening all around the characters in the film through like the last three quarters of it. But just, uh, it's still quick, very much about the characters and not the spectacle. Right. Just a quick interruption. Uh, I just got an email from the Oakley on st- online store. So, uh, yeah, nothing to do with the film, but evidently they want me to buy some Oakley's thereby. Nice. <laughs> nice. I've never gotten an email from Oakley before in my life. <laughs> Very nice. Do you wear yeah. Oakleys? Are you an Oakley guy? No, I'm. Well, I'm a I'm a glasses wearing guy, but uh, no, I'm not going to get prescription Oakleys. Oof. Got to go. You got to go, Dwayne Wayne, there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, because nice. I wear glasses, I have to actually wear prescription sunglasses. So uh, I'm not going to go. I'm a sunglasses guy. Uh, I, I feel like I'm going to bump into shit when I wear well, them. Well, you know, I'm going to break them or lose them. I never was. I, I got to be honest with you. I know this is we're diverging off the path of the film here, but I'm going to say this. I never was, but I went to the doctor, I doctor, because I have to go like every two or three years. And they said, you know, you should probably think about wearing some sunglasses because the sun is doing a tremendous amount of damage to your eyes. Oof. And I never really thought about that. But here I am outside. I'm squinting all the time. I'm all that, all that sun's in my eyes all the time and all that stuff. And over time, that does damage. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start wearing sunglasses. I didn't start wearing them until I was like 37. So you still got some time, I think. Got a few years. Just a few. <laughs> um, uh, burr, 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 burr. Where am we here? Uh, burr, 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 burr. I like, too, that they look at sort of the restraint of desires, which I think is kind of testament to... Russian want, people. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. I wonder, you know, I'm not Russian, and I only know what I've read, but they seem to be withholding of emotion sometimes. Yeah, yeah, so. for sure. But you, and you get that with this. There, but how much of that is, is cooked up by uh, state versus human nature? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. man, it's hard to find an Indian runner poster. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got to help me out here. Um <laughs> What a great poster. Um, and so I want to get both these men. Um, but yeah, we talked about the shadows. This forest fire is just a thing of destructive beauty. I mean, it's so, so impressive. Yeah. And I think the score is really great. There's moments that are orchestral and it feels very majestic and classy and really, really a thing to behold. But um, there's other moments that are kind of interesting and very left field, like this stuff early on in the film. Right, you know. Right, no, I, uh, I, I, that fire scene when I when I saw the fire scene, I was kind of just like it, it's it's almost like when you watch M for the first time, where you see these scenes, oh, yeah. where you're like, how did they pull that off? How did they do that? I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know enough about cinema to know how they pull it off, but 
you look at it and you think, what mindset do you have to be in in 1958 or 19, you know, when they shot this or 59 when they shot it, who knows? But uh, what mindset do you have to be in cinematically to get this on film? I mean, it's, it's, it's really kind of a testament to the director that he's such a visual vanguard, just a, a guy ahead of, his, of the curve in so many ways that this is the way his brain is working. Yeah, um, big time. Because now we've seen so many films that a lot of us, our brain works in these cinematic ways. Yeah. But in 59, I mean, I'm sure he saw a lot of movies, but I mean, movies weren't as readily available. Nope. So he would have had to have gone to the movies a lot, and films must have, you know, really had some... I, I mean, this feels like... What it feels like is, and this is, we should say, this is... Uh, oh, man, where is this in his filmography? I think he only made two films after this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, he had, at this point, he has taken all the tricks he's got. And, uh, but I'd be curious to see his early work and see if it was there from the beginning. He started out documenting. of. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. There's some stuff that feels <coughs> sort of neorealist and other stuff that's so fantastically beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, a really interesting combination. Um, and he, 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 I think, I love that he does. See, a lot of times, oh, man, I did the, you know, it never fails. I turn, ooh. <laughs> Someone's inviting me to play a fucking other game on Facebook. Buzz off. I don't want to play a game on Facebook. Every week, man, that's the, they become the bane of my recording existence. The old whistling Dixie. Uh, where was I going? You totally derailed me, motherfuckers, with your game requests. Um, what was I saying? I don't even remember because I'm oh, laughing so hard. I had such a good point, too. Oh, you know, we see a lot of times films feel a bit maudlin and kind of melodramatic because they're older. And this film never feels that way. Like there's enough restraint. Like there's a really nice moment, tender moment with a flower that mm, is yeah. is understated. Yeah. That, oh man, you look at lots of films, they don't age well. But this film really feels timeless. It really does. Yeah, it does. I mean, I, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to cover it. I mean, this is a film from 1959. It doesn't feel like that. It doesn't have any of... Like, if this is an American 1959 film, this is before the culture changes, so you're probably going to get a lot of fast-talking, kind of stage direction that's very... that's very. I'm not to say there wasn't cinematic films in 59. We know there was, but I'm just talking about that kind of... You know, the 50s were a different era than the 60s that were a different era than the 70s, right? So, mm-hmm. and the way characters talk and the way acting does. This feels so real. I mean, there never really feels like people are stage acting or anything like that it feels like it's very there's great scenes of uh characters being physically exhausted and and there's uh i like the way they age the characters with the beards the beards never feel fake they feel kind of nasty and kind of half there mm-hmm. um that imagery of the river on the back oh man amazing the ship looks just just so beautiful the film, you know, I thought it was going one way. I thought it almost seemed like, and I, he could have still been influenced by this, but I feel like this could have been an inspiration for Gravity in some ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Koran seems like a, you know, a lover of film. So I would say that to say that he may have seen this, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't this, be out of the... Uh, the way it goes yeah. out of the frying pan and literally and figuratively into the fire, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it gets successively more uh difficult yeah um just when it got bad it gets worse (laughs) yeah exactly and and just the way that the sort of the characters that we're left with uh up to a certain point and i have to say that i thought i feel like tanya i don't know if it's just me but she got more beautiful as the film went on (laughs) she did Uh, although i did really love that scene where she's uh i have a weakness for wet shirts 
Mm, don't we all? Yeah, and there's a great scene where she's running around and, and she gets nice and wet. And of course, you know, yeah. Google search thereby. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I didn't Google search her. Uh, shit, why? Too classy. It felt yeah. too classy too. I guess so. Maybe. Um, <laughs> did you feel the cold with this film? Like, there's moments when like people are putting their hands in icy water. I'm like, oh man, that had to be so cold. It's like Siberian winter. Oh yeah. It's just, oh my goodness, it's so fucking cold. Um, I, I look, I think the film probably one of the few reasons it could have been made. You know, the easy sell for Kaladasov would have been the indomitable spirit of the Russian people. Yes. Um, and just the, I think it's an interesting look at the loss of faith. Yes, which, I agree. Which I feel like, I feel like also plays into that where if you want to look at it as, shoehorning propaganda in for the sake of getting it made or subverting, sub, being subversive about it, you could say it as, well, look, when people lose faith, um, look what happens. Mm-hmm. You have to keep the faith. Yep. As right? Bon Jovi so, said, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I really feel like the actors, good on them for, for really committing to their roles. Yes, I agree. I mean, this it's a, it's great performances and, and you feel like that 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 he's really putting them through the ringer, um, physically. Uh, they do feel exhausted and, and wore out, and and brave, to be honest with you, to to be in some of these situations they're put in in this film. Mm-hmm. I just don't know how they. I don't know where. I mean, I don't know exactly where they shot it, but man, how did they get those cameras in there, up there, where you know? Yeah, because the heat would have been residual heat would have been really, really something. I wonder if Herzog saw this too. I'm sure he has. Yeah, he's not much. Uh, he well, he's uh, he sometimes moves his camera quite a bit, but he's very much. He's pretty in, static, I find. More yeah. like I don't find Herzog to be a flashy director. No. He's more interested in what's going on inward with humanity yeah. than razzle dazzle with the camera. This seems like up his alley in a way, though. You know, oh, nature, sure. survivalism. You know, yeah, all, all those kind big of time. Yeah, big time. Yeah, good call. I wonder if he saw it. Is that all you got? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so. Uh, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I just want to say, you know, I think a couple of years ago, uh, Brian uh, Rupert, Brian Sauer, he uh, has this series where he does, you know, top top first watches. We've kind of adapted it. A lot of people have. And this was my top uh, first watch uh, because I just was blown away by this thing. And, you know, it's not because Criterion released it. I just thought the – I thought, well, this sounds interesting. It's a Russian film. I know Russian films have interesting visual – um motifs to them i'm gonna check it out and uh man i was just uh, literally jaw dropped when i saw it so uh pretty amazing uh the atmosphere in this film is very thick right from the get-go it's very thick and it's very ominous i mean it kind of sets itself up and i like that it it bookends with uh helicopter shots and i like that the helicopter shot is more than just uh civilization pulling away from our four leads it's it's like you know it's almost like you said it's almost like faith pulling away from our four leads you know it's Mm -hmm. I like that uh, you feel that because I know they're waving to them that they're leaving, but man, they really keep waving at them like, you know, <laughs> Jesus, this might be the last time I see a human, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it, it's very interesting. It really is. Uh, fire stuff, like you said, it's amazing. Uh, like you bring up the score. The score is minimal, but it's super effective. Uh, it, it really works. It's got a nice kind of almost like a horror tone in some ways uh, throughout the piece. Uh, you kind of feel that. Uh, I don't really have a lot to add. I really just wanted you to see this. I knew you had not seen it, and uh, I've been wanting you to see it ever since I saw it. Um, because uh, for those who don't know, Large Wave, you know, we 
well, I know they know most people do, but if this is like one of your early shows, we talk a lot off the air as well. And sometimes when we see a film, we uh, this happened actually recently. Uh, Large Williams saw Nebraska, and when he saw Nebraska, he said, "Oh man, Rick's going to love this film." <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just know. <laughs> and uh, when I saw this film, I thought, "Yeah, William needs to see this film. I think uh, <laughs> hey, this is one that he needs to get off his list because this is definitely one he will he will champion." going forward oh, yeah. so uh, uh yeah that's one of the reasons why i decided to select it so i'm glad you dug it although i had a hunch but it's another <laughs> one of those things where you put it out there you know and you worry that <laughs> you're gonna, gonna just yeah you're gonna scorn my child yeah of course man <laughs> but yeah it, it's a it's a magnificent piece and uh yeah so much going on and i don't want to give it away because i really want people to see it I, it's not a long film but it feels epic Mm, it is epic. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. So that, that's all. Epic I without uh, delusions of grandeur. Agreed. Or self sort of importance about how epic it is. Agreed. Nice. Uh, my make or break. Gosh, tough one. Um, I'm going to go with the opening just because like right away it just it grabbed me. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. This film is absurdly beautiful. It, um, it really works well. It really, really works well. And it, again, it just... I'm in awe of Russian film at the time. It's something that if I can ever settle down enough to get sort of on a run of things to, to fill in my cinematic gaps, I'd like to do Russian film. Yeah, you should definitely check out Potemkin. It's only uh, about an hour long, a little over yeah, an hour long. There's been a few times I've went to pull the trigger and I haven't. Yeah. So I need to. MVT Cinematography. Um, just nice. one of the one of the most beautifully shot films I've ever seen. Um, you need to see Marketa Lazarova now, man. Yes, I do. It's really something. Um, and my score for the film is an 8.75. Nice. Nice. Eight. Yeah. It's a simple film uh, in some ways. In other ways, it's very profound. Um, it's beautiful. It's poetic. It's, um, you know, people that don't like world film, I feel bad for them because to look at things from other cultures' eyes and the way they uh, approach um, art and life um is always endlessly fascinating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh yeah it should be said uh the cinematographer uh sergey urasvesky uh yeah. worked with uh kyle dissolve quite a bit he did uh cranes are flying letter nurse and i am cuba oh there you go so he, maestro yeah he stayed maestro quite a bit didn't do a whole lot of work only 15 films but uh he was the assistant director on this film as well so he probably had a lot to do with uh, some of that fire stuff and things like that um, my make or break is the fire sequence. I mean, there's there is. I agree with you. The opening, uh, I actually like that that river stuff at the back end is amazing too. Oh wow, yeah. There's just so much. Uh, the great scene where they, well, where something happens to a character, not during the fire, but afterwards, and they're mm-hmm. searching, and there's a great scene of a character carrying a character. Um, there's so there's so much great stuff. Uh, really, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to deny the power of this movie it really is uh my mvt who'd you say your MTV, did you say your mtv was cinematographer cinematographer okay so you you went with sergey there but sergey yeah. i'm trying to say his one name. of two sergeys <laughs> yeah and i'm going to go with mikhail kalatazov i think this is an amazing film uh way ahead of the curve i, I definitely want to see more of his films i've only seen two mm-hmm. uh i want to i know i can get uh the cranes are flying is on uh hulu plus because some of his stuff is criterion released so I, th- I think a couple more of his films are on there for that. I doubt I'll be able to find some of those early Russian films unless I really dig. <coughs> there uh, might be some sort of archival thing up online now that might you know, be. Might be. 
You never I hope know. there is. I hope these films are. are I mean, I'm, you know, thankfully, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, you know, he he made sure this film was taken care of. And before Criterion released it, supposedly he had the only print. Oh wow! Of this film, so I don't know. Wow, I don't know. So, but he is big on uh, you know film preservation, just like Scorsese is and stuff. He didn't he? He saved another Russian film not too long ago, or another film he saved. I can't remember what it was. But he I saved think, something that was a big deal that people made oh, a big deal of. It was the much celebrated Italian film Cop and Drag with Thomas Millian. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's more like our film preservation. Yes, that is our film preservation. GGTMC presents Cry of a Prostitute. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think I remember hearing that though. I know he, yeah, him and Marty are big on that. Can yeah. I make it a little tangent? Uh, was it tangent? Mm-hmm. Tangent. I'll just say tangent because I'm stupid. Tangential. Uh, Tangenital uh, thing here. You said tangential. Not, not, I don't know if we want to get into our tangentials. But I don't uh, want to get into that. I'm, 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 can I? Can I? Uh, can I branch out here or yeah. go off course? Uh, I've always there. There is a googling letter never sent. Uh, trying to find the Russian poster to buy, and I come across Carly Simon's album Letters Never Sent. I've always I've always been attracted to Carly Simon. No, yeah, 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 yeah. She's. I don't know why, but I've always been very attracted to her. She's very. Uh, she has a big mouth. I think that's why. <laughs> yeah, might you might yeah you might be your weakness. Yeah, I like big big mouths on women. Oh man, I'm trying to find a. I wonder. I wanted to see if I could find a list uh, of films that uh, Coppola has helped restore or save, and uh, I'm having a hard time. I was trying to Google that before we got off the uh, the airways here, boy. Man, I know. That there was one recently. I'm, I feel like such a cunt because I know there was one recently that uh, he found that was considered lost or something. Uh, well, I don't know if he personally found it, but I know he financed the the hunt for it or the restoration of it. Fuck. Anyway, uh, my score for the film is exactly the same as yours: eight point seven five out of ten. Could nice. easily go to nine as well, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's right in that ballpark. So uh, I think you guys know where we stand on it. Uh, God damn it. It, it! it sucks when you Google something you think it's going to be so easy to find, and then yeah, and, it, and it's a nightmare. You would think film preservation would be easy to find. Nope. I'm looking through these films that have been preserved here. The National Film. Hang on. Let me. I, I may have found something here. Uh, I know this is riveting podcasting, but uh, yeah. Well, anyway, guys, well, Sammy's looking. Any other Carly Simon mouth fans out there? Let us know on Facebook.com. Yeah, yeah. GGTMC. Let's see. Or am I even bullshitting when I say that? I could be. Let's see. I'm going to start. Yeah, it's it's www.facebook.com backslash groups backslash GGTMC. So if you were a fan of Carly Simon's mouth, let us know. Yes, exactly. I got Film Preservation Society, and that's different, really, because they're just—I mean, they're they're saving great films. But uh, wow, there's a film on the film preservation called "The Sex Life of the Polyp." Ooh, ooh. I, think I, I think I know what we're covering next week. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Actually, I don't know what I'm covering next week. Fuck. Oh yeah, no, not yes, I do. you do. <laughs> yes, I do. Fuck. <laughs> I'm actually know what we're doing for the next few weeks, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yep. All right, so if anybody else remembers that film Francis Ford Coppola saved recently, uh, please uh, get with us and let us know. Uh, maybe it's on his IMDb and like other credits. You think so? Miscellaneous crew? It probably would because there would be some sort of a credit tied in with that. Yeah. 
Melius, no, it's definitely not that. That just came out. <laughs> ah. Someone will know. Yeah, someone will know. Like such, an, such an asshole, though. Javier Bardem has such terrible hair in The Counselor. I got to say, I have no interest in watching The Counselor. You know, I didn't, but it, it divides people so much <sighs> that I think I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to look into it at some point. Some people we really trust, like yeah. Ellie and Chris. Yeah. Rep for it, but yeah. man, it just it has such a good cast. But, yeah, and some, it just a, I don't know. And Ridley Scott's a very hit or miss for me. Yeah, he can be for me as well. Uh, okay, well, I never found it, so fuck it. Uh, anyway, uh, watch, I'll find it. You know what's going to happen? I'll find it immediately when we stop recording. Of course. That's what will happen. <laughs> All right, so that is the show. Next week, we have. Uh, uh, next week, I think we'll try to get to some. We got some email, so we'll try to get to that sometime. Yeah, and I think maybe we should try. I want to say this on the air. Let's try to get back to getting our feedback. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like every week, we'll play a voicemail or a couple emails, whatever we got. Man, maybe we need to start getting up a little earlier or something. Yeah, because we got a good one from Bernie Sticky where he shares a really great story. Yeah, yeah we got one from Bernie, and we Info, got a couple. Speaking of the love story of a polyp. <laughs> <laughs> and we got some uh, some new emails from some new listeners, so yeah, we'll definitely get into that. But next week we are we're doing our Jodorowsky Dune thing. We're gonna be seeing the film, and uh, we'll be talking to uh, Steve Steven Scarlatta, uh, one of the producers in the film, also known as uh, Back of Forest Whitaker's Neck, and our our parts of the woods. But making his sophomore appearance. Yeah, yeah, he's coming back on the show, and we're gonna discuss that and all things Jodorowsky, all things Dune, all things Neck. All things, which means GTMC. all things awesome. Yes, <laughs> and metal, and metal. Yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's what we're going to be doing. So we're very excited because uh, this is one of e- easily one of our most anticipated films <sighs> of the year, and uh, we can't wait to check it out and uh, discuss with you guys. So and well, and and with Steve himself because uh, he is a great friend and uh, yeah, he's a very passionate film fan. I love his is. his taste is. in movies is amazing. It's right it's right in our wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, it most certainly is. I can just say I love the uh, I think it's Shout Factory the cover they put out for Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I know we've talked about their covers before and uh, how sometimes they feel sometimes they miss. Yeah, sometimes they feel like they miss a little bit, and sometimes they they nail it. And I don't know. It's 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 interesting. All right, so that is what we're doing next week. Uh, Stay tuned. There will be some lovely Arizal love coming soon. We promise Very that. Soon. Um, we're going to have some special guests on Yeah, that. we're going to do that. Uh, we, we, we just got all kinds of good stuff coming. Uh, by the way, you need to hit up Diabolic as well. I already did. Oh, nice. I didn't see it. Yeah, I'll, you're, well, I think you're going to like the picks. I'll hit uh, when I hit pause here. Bye. We'll yeah. uh, talk about it. <laughs> all right. With that, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com you can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com 